Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And um, happy solstice, uh, happy winter. Uh, the days are going to be getting longer um, with the uh, solstice just happening on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, yeah, we um, <laughs> we are um, we are in the winter now. Yeah, the days are a little bit chilly, and uh, what what a great time to uh, to speak to um, uh, someone uh, about a healer about how to uh, how to uh, optimize one's health and wellness um, as we move into uh, the season where it's going to get a little bit more chilly, even in Northern California, in California, where we have pretty warm weather, and um, uh, and at a time when you know the pandemic is still raging. Um, so uh, we speak to Donna Chang this morning, uh, who is a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist, uh, body intuitive practitioner, holistic nutrition and life style counselor and transformative transformational coach who founded Alameda Community Acupuncture um about 10 years ago um this year and uh, we have a really really wonderful wonderful conversation that we taped last week uh through Zoom and we're going to play it this morning uh for your uh pleasure to find out about um her um uh, her business, Alameda Community Acupuncture, which is uh, a part of an international movement and a member clinic of the People's Organization of Community Acupuncture. It's a, non, it's a cooperative made up of patients, acupuncturists, organizations, volunteers, and 200-plus clinics who are together committed to making acupuncture affordable and accessible to regular people with ordinary income. And uh, and you can uh, find out more about Alameda Community Acupuncture by visiting alamedacommunityacu.com. And uh, so we're going to play that interview first, followed by uh, an interview that we first broadcast uh, last month, uh, November 17th, I believe, uh, about uh, Chloe uh, Dulce, and I don't know how to pronounce Chloe's last name, she'll say it for us, <laughs> who has a wonderful book that's just out uh, for about a month or so now, going into the second month, Life I Square. And um, in the book, she brings together 25 of today's most influential black female voices in an exploration of self-love and healing. And she was here in San Francisco Bay Area last month. However, um, I put a link to her website where you can find out where she's going to be early next year in January uh, because she's traveling still on her tour. So without further ado, here is Donna. <laughs> so, Donna, I'm so happy um, 
that uh, you can join us, uh, Donna Chang, and uh, you are um, a practicing licensed acupuncture healer, and uh, and you are the proprietor of Alameda Community Acupuncture, a place that I can walk to from home, and oh man, it's been sort of the center for for my personal healing. Uh, I remember when I couldn't walk, uh, I had never, well, I heard of sciatica, but didn't know what it felt like, and uh, and uh, your team of, of women who work there uh, with you, and um, which I also really like that, you know, it's a center where there are all these women healers. And, yeah. uh, and so I'm really, yeah, so I'm really happy that you were able to continue post-COVID in a safe way. I mean, you were open as soon as you could be. I just wanted to know if you want to talk to us a little bit about yourself. I mean, I can read your bio, but then people could go on your website, alamedacommunityacu.com, and, and read it. So we want to give them something that a little more... Uh, uh, in the moment and something that they might not want to read about. But what I thought was really interesting since I've been, um, uh, you know, coming to you for another issue, um, you know, when I had a cancer diagnosis and, and you know, up until through all of the various tests and, and then through the surgery and then post-surgery now on the other side of it and feeling really, really great. Um, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for helping me in these various, various ways that I have been challenged and and come through, um, you know, with your guidance and support. So, you know, personally, I really appreciate it. And that's why I want to share you and your, uh, your clinic, uh, you know, your business with everyone else because people feel really isolated and, and don't necessarily know about Alameda Community Acupuncture or acupuncture in general and and how it can really help people through these kind of uh, global challenges. You know, they're not only like trying to stay well in the midst of a COVID-19 and all of the different variants, but just, you know, sort of what it does to us, you know, psychologically and emotionally having to distance and self-isolate. So anyway, I've been talking a minute. You can go ahead. <laughs> Wanda, well, first of all, thank you for having met me here today. And uh, it really warms my heart to know that, like, the, this medicine has supported you in your healing journey. And um, so to introduce myself, um, so I'm an acupuncturist. I've been, uh, I have opened Alameda Community Acupuncture since uh, 20, let's say, like, 20 11. <laughs> it's like a long time ago. And um so and so the practice that um uh, that I have it's, it's a community acupuncture practice so that I like, we see several people in a large room. And so and because of that we can offer a sliding scale um cuz like in in the in Asia, it's actually it's quite common to have like uh, multiple people in one room receiving acupuncture. But then in the U.S., um, for a long time, the dominant model of practice is like having uh, one private room with one practitioner, and um, and then like by having multiple people in the room, we can like make it more affordable because we all know that like healing is a process. It's not a single event. So. 
Um, so the idea is uh, to create a space, a sanctuary, sanctuary, as you said, um, that is affordable so that people, when they can, come for acupuncture as often as they need to for their healing. Because uh, you probably know for yourself too, in different points of your life, um, you you need like different levels of support, right? So there are times when they like, say um, people need to have like acupuncture once a week or even twice a week or, or more. And then like there are the times when you can um, just say, okay, use it as a maintenance every couple of weeks. And that has like different financial implications right? <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> so our goal is to create a sliding scale, make it affordable so that uh, people can really use this medicine. Because acupuncture has practiced in China for many, many years, thousands of years. It has always been um, a kind of people's medicine. It's something that can be widely used. And it's not so that it's not limited to people who, who can, like, say, um, have an upper middle class income, for example. Mm -hmm. And then there's also uh, different offerings that I started having since the pandemic. Uh, what happened last year when, um, uh, when we all, you know, went into lockdown in March 2020, and um, so my focus has switched to also, like, how to empower my patients, my clients, my community, to um, take care of themselves um, at home, how to like help people to take charge of their health and wellness. And um, so so I've had, uh, since then, I've um, also had the offerings that's basically like, which I, my role, and even as an acupuncturist, I consider myself a healing guide. And then we know that like the healing power doesn't really come from me <laughs> or the healer or um, that it, it, it's there's this innate healing power, the innate resourcefulness that in our bodies. Um, so like uh, it's about so in healing, what we try to do is to help you you tap into that resource. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I know from from our conversations that. Um, you know, you were raised uh, in China, um, and and then you came here to the United States. I don't know if you came here to go to school or what. You can tell us. And and then, as you know, a visual artist, you went to art school. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you parlay that into you know this this medicine, um, which I think with acupuncture, it's you know releasing these these energy points that might be clogged. And, you know, the chi, you know, the help is slow because that's the life force. And, um, and, and in different, different cultures, they call the chi other things, like ashe is energy uh, in the, in the um, mm -hmm. West African or Yoruba. When you say ashe, that's the energy, you know, that's flowing. And, and you don't want it to be blocked. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you moved you know, how you moved into this particular aspect of your, your creativity, because definitely, I think you're a creative person. I mean, you know, just the way you, you, you know, I mean, back before the pandemic, when you would look at the person's tongue, and you take the temperature, and you read the energy, it's like, and plus you talk to the person, but a lot of times, the body is the better intelligence. So, you know, you might be talking to us, but then the body is really talking to you. And, and then, you know, you take these different instruments that you have. 
people think acupuncture, they just think needles, but it's not just needles. And there are different types of ways that you release the energy from these different places in our person and uh, connecting it to the larger energy, which, you know, as you mentioned earlier about it being a community uh, healing space. And, and we, we heal each other as people. Like when we have a, a healthy nation, we have a healthy people, we have a, you know, a healthy family, we have healthy people. So if you have sickness in the family, then it makes all of us a little sick. So, yeah, I wonder if you could talk a little bit how you move through, you know, the art and you still paint <laughs> and you still you still practice that, among other things. We're just wondering sort of how you came to to this expression, because you also use herbs, which could be paint, you know, that you're applying to the body, <laughs> you know, to help bring out different types of, you know, different kinds of, um, uh, uh, I guess, different aspects of the person. So then we walk out and, and we're really beautiful because we feel good. So anyway, I'm just being kind of um, uh, philosophical right at the moment. Maybe yeah. yeah, I love philosophical discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that's the one thing that um, I got asked a lot because I was a visual artist. I was a graphic designer. Um, uh, first of all, like how I came to be interested in healings because I was um, – in my 20s, I was dealing with um, a lot of like just unwellness, and it's one of those things I can't quite put your finger on it. But then it's just I just didn't feel well, and um, and I was uh, working as a freelancer, a freelance graphic designer at the time, and um, so I, and in my 20s, I didn't have health insurance because it was kind of like well. If I have $200 a month, like, do I want to spend on insurance or do I want to buy paint? <laughs> and at that time, it's like, okay, buying art supplies seems more important. <laughs> but, um, but then also at that time, um, there were some uh, health problems that I, recurring health issues I was going through um, that I just could not seem to find help in mainstream medicine. So, um, so at the time, uh, I just say, like, uh, basically, I just took took the matter in my own hands and started like exploring how I can um, help uh, myself in my own healing. And um, as drastic of a change it seems to be, but I now that I when I uh, practice and and especially like um, and I'm more um, going deeper in my spiritual life, and I just really see there there are a lot of um, similarities or. It's almost like different facets of healing. Um, like I can see, like say, like human being. Um, uh, it sounds like a noun, but it's also a verb, right? Being. Um, so <laughs> we are not like a fixed uh, structure in time and space, right? Where we are as human beings, we are a creative process that is like ongoing like in in chinese medicine we talk about the five phases or the five elements um so it's like we're um this like continually evolving process and it's almost like you can uh, see us as like an artwork that is like always that's in process that's um evolving and um uh, just like, and when I was studying art, when I was doing a lot of art, it was actually primarily figurative art that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of figure drawings when I was in New York. 
um, at the Art Students League, and like figure drawing was part of my life. And and so I was studying anatomy. And uh, well, actually, one of the things that I um, and I really that I end up still using with my artist eyes um, every day in my healing practice. It's really um, seeing the beauty in each person. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, when like when I do figure drawing. That's that's what one thing that I would just like be uh, captivated by. It's like wow, this uh, um, it's like the spirits and the, and the beauty in each person that comes through. And then so that like when I am um, in my clinical practice, um, there's on one hand like people come and usually it's like that they have some kind of ailment. Um, and sometimes like people even come in and just say, I'm just broken or I'm a hot mess. And I would, you know, see, uh, hear that a lot, but I don't usually, um, yes, so on one hand, I acknowledge what they're going through, but then at the same time, I could see that underneath all the brokenness that they feel, there is that innate wholeness, there's that beauty um, that I could also um, attune to. And I think just even that, like, is, the, is healing. And what we can, um, when we can see each other, say, not just someone who is like, um, just like say, oh, you have this problem, or that when we don't identify ourselves with just like uh, the disease, but then you can see ourselves as more than that. And um, because healing, the word healing means like to become whole again, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so when there is this, uh, uh, this disease or disease, there's always like a sense of like something like our bodies falling apart or things being destroyed. But at the same time, the um, creative process uh, is very healing in the sense that like in, uh, in, when you're creating something in artwork, you're giving life to something, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So there is that interplay of um, destruction and um, creativity that's, which is also part of the cyclical um, forces in life and, and nature. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. And so even when I put needles in people, it was kind of like sometimes you can see that I put one needle here, another there, and it's almost like, okay, I'm putting a base layer. <laughs> and then like... So, yeah, so it's like I have like my base layer. It's like, um, and then I add. Uh, it's almost like like change. It's like oh, you know, a brushstroke here, brushstroke there. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to how to balance, balance. Um, it's like kind of kind of like balancing like the warm and cool cold colors in the painting, and and that also uh, goes on in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is really cool. So then. You know, let's say um, you have the chairs in in the room, so people can sit in chairs which are very comfortable. You know, we you know we start sitting up and then we lay back, <laughs> and we're you know semi prostrate. And then you have the two tables and you have the the uh, the really wonderful um, lamps to warm us. Um, so you know how with artists and maybe that's the way you practice too. You have a lot of of uh, easels up at the same time and you know mm-hmm. like you'll be moving from one one project to another project so it's almost as if we're 
we're like the easel, like your patients. <laughs> and you're like moving between us, you know, putting a little touch here, adjusting the light there, and, you know, adding a little breast stroke, you know, like, wow, that's so cool. Now, you know, now that we're, you know, we're talking, you know, artists. Yeah. And it's all, yeah, and it's really interesting because this is more like a collaborative art, right? It is um, uh, fundamentally. I remember one time, like, I was uh, on a beach in Alameda, and it was just, like, one of those, like, really beautiful summer days that you just want to be outside, and I was walking on the beach, and I saw these two young women, and they, um, so what they were doing is, like, they have, like, two paintings that's in progress, and each of them, they would do a few strokes on one uh, on one painting, and then they would swap back and forth, <laughs> and that it's, uh, so it's, so yeah, so there's that um, a creativity, like collaboration, and also co-regulation that happens in healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And now because of um, you know uh, you've had to adjust um, mm-hmm. to to make sure that your your um, your patients are safe and mm-hmm. and comfortable. Um, I was wondering um, if maybe you want to do a little commercial around. You know, now you have a virtual practice, um, and and people who can't get out or people who are homebound, for whatever reason, they can still have access to to this kind of healing. Um, and and I, what I really like is before you go into the big room, there's like a little reception area, and uh, and in the reception area, you know, you're behind, uh, or or Mackenzie is behind. Um, uh, a uh, counter with um, the fiberglass, you know, for the, you know, the spittle that comes out of our mouth. We don't have have um, masks on, but everyone has to be masked in the in the facility. And and you come out from behind the counter, and we have a little chat, you know, um, about so what's up with you since I last spoke to you, and um, and those are really I really like the check ins they're so nice. And then, you know, the whole idea of, you know, being, being present with your body and talking to your body and acknowledging your body sort of just, this is the thing that I, I happen to move in, but don't really pay attention to it. This whole practice is about paying attention to the vehicle that makes it possible to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and it has, it has an intelligence. And as you listen, it could tell you what's going on and, and you can ask it to, you know, the question that you might have and get answers. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, sort of your online practice, but just, you know, maybe sort of thinking a little bit more into the whole psyche soma thing, uh, particularly now that we have a whole, like we call this 12-month cycle, which everyone is not a participant in throughout the world, but here in our country and in the West, we pay attention to the January, December thing. So it's like an ending and then a beginning. But really the beginning is not until spring, but we 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 begin in winter, which is kind of strange anyway. If we think about other cultures, you know, like you don't begin in the winter. <laughs> it's like things are dying. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. But anyway, that's how we do things. And so people are are feeling a certain way now because, oh, my God, 
counting down like less than 15 days to go, and we'll be at the end of the year. Oh, my goodness, like, what am I going to do? You know, i got to start all over again, or what? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that's a really great point because, um, for example, Lunar New Year, in 2022 is February 1st and 2nd, and uh, Lunar New Year is always, uh, well, in Chinese culture, and I, I think also in other cultures, and that was like what we call like the beginning of spring, early spring, depends on like, where you are in the world. Um, it would some places feel colder, some places feel warmer. But that is like the time for new beginnings. And then you're really right on when you talk about like uh, when we try to have all these grant plans in um, <laughs> in January, and it's good for planning. But then it's like when we try to make this big push, uh, lifestyle changes, and all that, which we're going to talk about um, in the next uh, interview when we talk about like epigenetics, mm-hmm. and um, and. So that, um, but that is actually a time to like for planning, but like for the big actions, usually when it comes like spring, it's easier to actually uh, put in like the the big strides for making changes. Um, So yeah, so we talk about the, um, so in my online practice, uh, when we, when I do a virtual one-on-one consultation with people, um, that is like a deeper journey that I lead people through, like how to like really listen deeper um, to their to the messages of their bodies, and also um, teaching people like how to uh, stimulate certain acupoints, and um, because we can't really listen fully if um, if we don't have like stillness and. It's hard to be still if you don't slow down, and it's um, hard to slow down if we don't feel safe to slow down. If like there's like we, if we have this um, idea that like say, um, uh, if I slow down, I'm never like you know I'm never gonna get up again, or or that like oh if I rest too much that means I'm not productive. Um, so. So to address like like this deep listening, so like what I guide people through is like this like deep listening process, and sometimes it's hard to do it on your own, and um, if you're not if, if it's not something that you're accustomed to, um, but like so what I do is I really guide people to listen to the intelligence of their body, and also. Um, their emotions and like uncovering the deeper truth. Because in, in Chinese medicine, um, the mind and the body is not separate. I mean, uh, mind, body, um, soul, and there are like, different dimensions of ourselves, but they're not. Sometimes when we talk about like mind body connection, as it's, it's like there's like these two things that are like connected together and it doesn't quite work that way. And um, so, um, so I think I answered part of your question. <laughs> so um, so so ultimately, so it's also like now that actually we are in the winter season, and today is December 17, 2021, and we're a few days before winter solstice. And um, so in Chinese medicine um, or cosmology or almanic, uh, basically when you can see like the seasons, 
where they counted from like January to February uh, to December or have a different dates for beginning of the year. But what uh, what the universal truth is like our seasons are cyclical. Okay? So so that's our how nature operates. And that's how we operate in our bodies with or without us really knowing <laughs> uh, whether we want it or not. Like we have seasons in, um, we, uh, internally. Um, and just as we actually even, so when, you, when we talk about the five elements or five phases of energy, which is like water, uh, water element, which is like in winter, um, that's like the uh, stillness, downward, cool, cold uh, energy and then like in spring um, we can think of like winter solstice like there is like a circle and um, and then like winter solstice would be like the bottom uh, part of the circle and then and like summer solstice is the top huh? and then so it kind of goes it round and round like this except that I think on video it's probably reversed <laughs> but you get my idea <laughs> So winter clockwise or clockwise. <laughs> uh, winter solstice that is um, the darkest day of the year. Um, so in Chinese medicine, summer solstice is like the most young time of the year, whereas like winter solstice is the most in time of the year. Mm-hmm. And like so, when we um, have our actions, our um, uh, how we like how we structure our lives when it's like in accordance to the seasonal energy uh it would feel like you're going with the flow but then when we're trying to do things that is against the flow of the energy of the season it's almost like swimming swimming upstream right so um so let me just finish uh, talking about the cycles. And uh, basically, it's like so. Winter is water element. Um, those that's the most yin time of the year, and then comes spring, which is the wood element, and that's when uh, the energy is more like upward and outward, like planning. Let's let's do this. Like let's do something new. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the summer, um, which is. Uh, uh, exemplified by uh, the fire element, and that is our like socializing. Like we go out and dance and have parties, and and um, so it's a very outgoing, connecting um, um, energy. And um, then there, which uh, is like summer, and then in um, what we call late summer, that is the earth element. And that is like when like you don't need to even do much, and there's just abundance in the garden, and like it's like not the time that you have to do a lot of like um, pruning or sowing seeds or growing stuff. Things are just like there's that period when things just grow and there's abundance, and mm-hmm. it's like um, that's when we say, oh, who do I want to share this abundance with, <laughs> and how do I want to like um, process this abundance? And um, how do I want to digest um, everything that's uh, that is uh, there? And um, and then there's the fall energy, which is um, a metal element. And um, so and that is like when the leaves are falling, and um, so that we're like basically having to know that oh okay summer's over now we're going from a more young time which is the outgoing to like the yin time where it's more um, more quiet, 
um, I'm more like uh, more uh, heading towards stillness. And it's also like starting, like say, you can tell also like I think for many people starting in the fall and we start feeling that like, oh, we start wanting to move slower. Um, we may have less energy and um, and just like uh, like just like a tree, like they uh, start shedding leaves to conserve energy so that it can go back to the roots. And that's what the yin time of the year is all about. It's like returning to the roots, returning to stillness so that we can um, use this time to actually just examine like what is the most important thing in our life. And I guess because we don't, we may not have the energy to do everything. And, um, but then it's like, okay, but we may have the energy to do what is the most important. And that is the calling or the invitation of the season. And um, so what happens a lot is um, like we may start like having a plan, a routine, and we are, okay, let's say, always want to get up at 5.30 in the morning to exercise. And then at some point, we're like, oh, you know what? I just want to sleep in. And that's good. <laughs> Actually, it's so I always tell people, I like, know that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. If you're, you have like lower energy now. It is like um, uh, the energy for winter solstice is really, it's really about qu- uh, um, quiet and stillness and slowing down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's so beautiful. Um, the way you explained it, um, yeah. Um, we had uh, our our final Shigong uh, class today at the beach, and it's nice today. It's it's actually sunny and warm. I had to take mm-hmm. off my coat, and uh, we did wild goose um, to end end our set, and uh, and you introduced me to um, to Nicole. Um, I believe uh, she used to teach uh, Qigong at, um, you know, at your, at yeah. your practice. Yeah. And it's so nice being outside. I've been wanting to be outside doing Qigong, and it's just been so wonderful, you know, sort of pulling. And today I actually felt the energy, pulling the energy down, you know. It just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just so wonderful. Um, yeah, it's just the whole um with acupuncture is just and and the constellation of different practices that one comes to know because of acupuncture. Uh, once you get over the idea of needles, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I tell people, um, yeah, it uh, it it's not like a shock, it's not that kind of needling, um, and even you know the other. Uh, you know, the cupping and, you know, so could you talk a little bit more about um, energy and, uh, and and the importance of, you know, the energy moving through us, the various points? Um, I don't know, people probably know in their minds because of, you know, we, we're, we're a society now, I think that everybody's probably had a massage um, at some point in their life. And, um, and massage is, is a similar kind of practice, you know, sort of, you know, releasing the energy. I mean, those points are the same points. Um, we could talk a little bit about about the chi and the energy and the life force. Uh, so, um, now that 
we're slowing down and mm-hmm. <laughs> and having this and trying to like be still and and you know really really sort of sink into our ourselves in a way that we don't normally do um and and how important that is because like you say it's there's no separation the mind body the spirit um they're not they're not these things that exist in isolation of one another and you think about wellness wellness is when they're together yeah because we're we have one body (laughs) yeah yeah and um so yeah so so great to hear that you're doing qigong and like this really nice winter day and um so i think there is also uh, well, it's good to talk just about like um, chi, right? Chi, when we talk about like say chi is something that is constantly flowing and moving, almost like a river, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, when the river is moving and uh, when that it, if it's like going where it needs to go and if everything's flowing and then like we are not likely to have um, uh, this kind of stagnation. And so a little bit like seems like it may sound like a paradox as we talk about stillness and then we're talking about like importance of chi moving, right? Mm-hmm. So I just want to clarify that like so is it there's this concept of dynamic stillness mm-hmm. where um, it's different from because sometimes when people can be like afraid of stillness because it's like oh it's almost like they can. Sometimes people associate with like the freeze or collapse where when you stay still, that means nothing is happening. And that's actually not true. It's it's um, dynamic stillness. It's like when you know that like in stillness and um, in the stillness, it actually holds the potential and fertility for like creative endeavors. And um, so it is actually um, it is actually nourishing in the way that like just like sleep is nourishing. Like when we feel like okay, when we're not um, when we're sleeping, that is like the most uh, yin time of the day. I mean, there's like the seasons of the year, and then there's seasons of the day. Um, and so when we go to this like uh, dreamless sleep and um, uh, in the middle of the night and uh, that's when there's so many like repairing that's going on and uh, I don't know if you've had the um, uh, the um, experience that like say you have something that like you don't you, uh, that's not quite clear decisions that you don't know what to how to make and then in the morning it's almost like you wake up and then you know what to do mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like say you have more clarity and sometimes like so there are actually a lot of things that's happening in the subconscious level, in the unconscious, um, even though like outwardly we're still. Mm-hmm. So the chi is like, um, so yeah, so when we talked about chi moving, it's kind of like um, uh, a river and uh, and then it's like this quality or this energy that is always moving um that is like there's always something there's like a potentiality in it so just so just like let's say if you're looking uh outside in the tree and it's uh there's no wind it doesn't look like it's doing much 
but then at the, at the same time, she is what um, drives it to like actually there is like things that's going on, right? And um, so we can think of like chi as like function, and um, and uh, let's say versus something that is like say blood or or um, structure of um, of the organism. So it's like process and structure, and um, so chi is the process and the flow and the, and in acupuncture we work through the um, concept of like the channels so, so the channels are like actually i have a acupuncture doll <laughs> oh, is, um, so that's what the acupuncture doll looks like and um so it just like looks like they're different the different lines and that is the channels, acupuncture channels, and we put um, the acupuncture points on certain channels that have create a certain effect, mm-hmm. and um, that like drive certain uh, chi movement. And um, so, <laughs> what is ac- acupuncture channels, right? And so when you think about it, it's almost like when you, um, so even though you can't see it, and it's not this like mysterious invisible channels. Um, it's almost like when you, let's say when you put like say a direction like to go somewhere on Google map and then it has a route, right? What points you like on the map, there is a route. Um, but then when you actually drive on the road, you don't see that line, right? But doesn't mean that that route doesn't exist. So it's a pathway. So when we talk about channels as energetic pathways, um, so it's kind of like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I like that Google Map. <laughs> now yeah, because some, there are sometimes that people think that well, if I don't see it, when we, or when we cut open, uh, uh, cut open a cadaver and we don't see the actual channel, that must mean that they don't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think over time there are a lot of um, mapping um, that's like with the Chinese uh, uh, medicine uh, acupuncture channels and fascia system, and there is a lot of. Um, correlation of the structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, I don't want to keep you too long on our, our first conversation, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I was just taking notes. Um, I, I love the idea that the body has seasons. I'm like, wow, that's really cool just to think of that, the body having seasons. And uh and and then um, you were talking about the tree, you know, the tree not look, looking like it's not doing much of anything. But I'm just thinking, just holding itself upright <laughs> yeah. is a lot of work. And then and then I look at the concrete over its roots, and then trying to grow and maintain the stability when you know the outside environment, you know, us people are making it so difficult to be what it is. You know, like, you just imagine if we had to, you know, trying to grow and we were, our our limbs were covered in concrete. And then it pushes up through the concrete. Oh, my goodness. Like, that probably hurts. (laughs) That's what actually causes, like, what we talked about earlier. It's like the chi stagnation. Yeah, because like in Chinese medicine, like when there is pain, that means there's obstructions in the chi flow, mm-hmm. and obstructions that that's basically stagnation, mm-hmm. and that can be um, that can 
So when we talk about like the concrete, like, you know, um, covering the roots and not letting it grow. And, and um, so like what causes cheese stagnation, right? And um, it can be several things. It can be um, repressing our, our emotions or not wanting to feel certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be um, from diet, because you know, a lot of the modern processed food um, uh, actually can cause stagnation, uh, what we call dampness, the different kinds of stagnation in Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so when we talk about, um, so and then there's like the different, um, so we talk about uh, the, so there's like the external factor and internal factors. Yeah. 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 yeah I, um, um, so I was um, shuttling between um, your practice, Alameda Community Acupuncture, and an octagon over in North Oakland. Uh, Osagon Community Acupuncture, and then when the pandemic happened, and I parked my car in the garage, I was like, "Well, I'll just wherever I need to go. I, if I can walk there, then that's what I will do. This, that will be my my radius." And so, um, yeah, my car has been parked in the garage unless I have to go somewhere, um, and I can't carry, you know, in my shopping cart <laughs> what what I need to. To transport or I go visit my my children who live in Oakland. Other than that, the car is parked. Even in the rain, I, I don't mind walking. So, uh, so when I was um, having some trouble, um, I don't remember exactly. I don't know if it was the 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 um, sciatica, but yeah, I um, was having uh, some trouble because I have a lot of allergies and. And uh, so I, I was put on a stomach spleen diet, and and all of a sudden once I started, I, I stopped eating the things like cold foods, like they're gone. <laughs> it's because I've been on the stomach spleen diet for like I don't know, it feels like four or five years now. It might not be that long, but it feels like forever. And and things stopped hurting, um, you know, got rid of the gluten, you know, just started started doing bone broth and all kinds of things that my body wanted. And now my body, because I've been doing this now, it'll tell me, Wanda, we want to try this. And I'm like, okay. And, or Wanda, go get that food. And I'm like, okay. Or to tell me, don't touch that. I'll start like having like itching or whatever. The body is like so, so smart. And uh, I wanted to ask you um, if you could maybe um, – uh, you know, talk a little bit more about what people can do, you know, now that we're sort of going into this kind of hibernation. And and I know you even have offered to the community wellness clinics where you videotape them and people can go to your website and they could, um, you know, sort of listen to you talking about how to keep yourself well when, in you know, in the, in the winter or, you know, during the pandemic or things you can do practical things that persons can do in their families to to maintain um, uh, a high level of um, of wellness and not catch things because, you know, some of the things we, we can't actually prevent if we have knowledge of certain things. So I'm, like, giving you a whole lot. And, uh, and then I, I just wanted to end with I just want you to talk about how, because I didn't even know that the body grieves loss. And I know, like, when we have our little conversation, I spoke about 
you know, when a person comes in and sort of like, yeah, I'm just feeling like really sad. And and then you'll put a needle in a certain place and I'm like, what is that doing? Because <laughs> sometimes there's a little charge and then, it, and then it calms down. And you say, oh, that was for grief. And then, and that's not the first time I've ever experienced it before, but, you know, having surgery and, and losing things, losing body parts, um, the body is grieving that loss. And and so, but I didn't know that until I, I told you what I told you, and then you helped release that. And I'm like, so anyway, it was just so cool to be able to acknowledge in my body, you know, oh, you know, because we're together, but sometimes we are together because the mind is just so busy, you know, being the mind. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to, you know, sort of getting a hold on this, like the, the thoughts, you know, are, we're so busy up here. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about um, basically it's the winter medicine, the steep listening. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think what, uh, and a lot of times like what we need to also acknowledge is that like, why do we have emotions? We have emotions because at a certain level, the emotions like want uh, to be felt. So uh, when we fully can feel it or acknowledge that, um, it uh it actually it's it can like it's almost like a wave and it would just uh um uh, move on but then when we don't when we try to repress those feelings or when we just like um distract ourselves with all different busyness and not like slowing down to listen mm-hmm. uh then what happened is like, that those emotions never get acknowledged and so they become they, that they can become stuck energy and uh, so, uh, and that's stagnation too. Mm. Uh huh. Yeah. And um, so I'm so glad that like uh, this medicine is helping you, yeah, with processing emotions and um, also helping you listen to your body more deeply. And that's what like one of the gifts of uh, when sometimes people come to acupuncture and they got some needles and they had a rest and they were like, wow, I didn't even know that I was so tired. <laughs> or I didn't even realize that I was so stressed. Or sometimes I, it is true that re- emotions do come up. And, um, and so, so that, that is part of the healing. And in terms of, um, to answer your other questions, it's like what people can do to take care of themselves this winter Right. And uh, what um, Wanda mentioned is that I actually did a master class a couple of months ago, I think back in August. Uh, it's actually a two-part master class. It's on uh, holistic immune resilience, how to build re- uh, immune resilience holistically. And it's um, two hours long, each part, and it's free to download. It's on our website. And um, so interesting thing about immunity is that... Um, Actually, what regulates our immunity is our nervous system. Uh, it's a big part of um, of that, and like especially with the pandemic. Um, and so when people try to like say keep safe and uh, do a different uh, immune regimen, and it is important, just as important to take care of our mental health mm-hmm. and make it a priority. And and so um, so. Do you want to uh, touch a little bit on like what is like a, a, the important winter medicine um, 
the, one of it is like really like prioritizing sleep uh, is important, uh, rest and sleep, and that is um, and like that means like going to bed early. It's like because um, like these days like it gets dark pretty early, and um, it gets uh, and then the sun doesn't come up till a little bit later in the morning. And it's like good, good to actually acknowledge that yeah, in winter we want to sleep in a little bit more, and it's good. And um, so even like as we hibernate, it doesn't mean that we we don't want to be with our families or our our loved ones, right? But then it's also um, acknowledging like, well, what do I have energy for? And maybe maybe like gathering family. Um, maybe it's also like say acknowledging when we have a uh, family gathering, acknowledging like oh what is when is uh, what is the, the limitations of our energies or um, how resourceful we feel in terms of connection and maybe it's just like even like sometimes you just need to take a breather <laughs> and maybe like say you go see your family and they all want to go out um, and, and maybe you just like stay back and just like say you know. I just need some alone time, and I need some downtime, and uh, Bam will will um, be back for our dinner together, and just like acknowledge um, these things, like I think, especially at these times, like a lot of people are feeling burnt out, and feeling overwhelmed, and um, and then there's this like tuck and like pull, right? Like there's like oh, you know. I want to I want to see my friends for holidays or, or my family for holidays. I want to do all these things with with them. But at the same time, it's like my my our, our it's like our candles. So you feel like it has been burning at both ends for a long time. So um, so and just like really acknowledging uh, it's like even just like to see like wow I am really tired and even just acknowledging that it's important. And um, so. And some of the uh, other winter medicine is like um, eat food that uh, has been cooked for a long time, like braised foods, soups. Uh, these things are warm. That's important. Um, warm foods. Like something that you, you probably would know, like when you eat something warm, it just like like just fill you with warmth from inside out. And that's what we want when uh, in the cold weather. And uh, when um, some food is like when it's cooked for a long time, um, like say bone broth or braised um, uh, like uh, uh, meat or braised like pot stool, something like that. And there's like there's like also like the um, it makes it more digestible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also, like keeping warm, that, that is uh, definitely one thing. And especially, like, say, if you uh, tend to want to be outside, like, it's it's okay. You know, it's it's still good to keep moving. And sometimes, like, just even going out there, feeling the cold, and that's also important. It's just like feeling the energy of the season. But you always also like want to like take a scarf when you go out, like cover your ankles, or if you're on the bike. Uh, where is something long that covers your waist, mm -hmm. and um, so just like keep like well, these there are these points um, around our neck what we call the wind points, mm -hmm. and that it can like let the wind seep in like really easily and give us chills and <laughs> we want to make just make sure those points are covered. Oh, uh, oh that's so interesting. Yeah, I always I wear scarves even in the spring, 
if there's a breeze. Yes. I, I didn't even know, you know, that these were wind channels. I just yeah. know the mm-hmm. cold kind of like starts here. So I want to be warm up here. Yeah. yeah, but I didn't know about the waist. And I know the ankles too, because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, my pants aren't long enough. My leggings aren't long enough. And I have on socks where my ankle is like here. Like, darn. Yeah, because you really feel the cold down there. Yeah, yeah, about the waist, because like uh, water elements are is associated with the kidneys, oh. and you want to keep your uh, kidneys warm, mm-hmm. especially in winter, mm-hmm. and um, um, like that's like our kidneys like warm, <laughs> and like sometimes like people ask like oh I think to have like mid back strain I want to put ice pack on it. And um, well, we just don't do it for too long <laughs> at this time of the year, mm-hmm. and just like because um, it's yeah, that's like um, that's it's good to keep our kidneys warm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, this is so fascinating, and and I just want to admire you for a minute. Just you know, I really appreciate how you're always, you know, in a workshop, you know, taking trainings, learning more. I mean, you're like trying to, trying to stay on top of, you know, sort of how acupuncture can can uh, become, you know, be be useful uh, in wherever you know we're moving as as a people, you know, as a community. So you know, the whole thing around around ancestors and and trauma and epigenetics, you know, and and you're right there, you know, sort of taking courses and doing work and, you know, becoming immersed in the literature and the scholarship so that when people come into your practice, you're able to, like, really meet people where they are and even, you know, be able to give people language for, you know, what's going on with them so they can, you know, be well. So anyway, I just think that's so cool. You get really enthusiastic (laughs) when you're sharing, too, like, oh, and you send me emails and yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and you know, you, I, I just think that's really, really cool. Thank you. Yeah, we live in really like exciting times in terms of like the holistic health um, fronts, like where you can you're see we're seeing like more integration than ever with the like, east, west, and um, different traditional medicines like from um, different cultures. And um, and what fascinates me is like a lot of times like when we uh, uh, see like new studies like from um, from the from the Western medicine world by, from the biochemical or biomedicine lens and that these like new findings new scientific studies that comes out and actually they actually like a lot of them just verifies what like um, in Chinese well it's like that in Chinese medicine textbooks like 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so there is like, it's almost like this like emerging like integration and like conversations um, of like the different um, medicine traditions and like from different lens. And I really do love like uh, learning both like the ancient wisdom and like the modern cutting edge science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great, and it's so funny because um, Kaiser, um, you can actually, uh, they have acupuncture for pain management, not everything else, <laughs> just just pain management. I'm thinking like, wow, you know, what if I'm not in pain? I just need 
you know, acupuncture. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but, you know, that it's there for that, you know, as opposed yeah. to, you know, um, having to take chemicals, you know, yeah. to, to cover and mask, you know, what's happening, what the body is saying, what's, how the body is communicating um, is still a plus. But yeah, yeah, I'm really, really happy that you decided to uh, participate in the community uh, acupuncture um, movement to make it so that it's not out of reach of, of everyday people, um, you know, that you could, you could afford it. Because, um, you know, when people think about acupuncture, people think about massage, because sometimes some clinics actually have massage and acupuncture in the, in the same space. Um, it's, it's, it's like, can't afford it, you know, um, like when, you know, you were talking about being an art student, you know, do I buy my paint or do I go to the hospital, go, you know, go talk to a doctor, you know, before it becomes an emergency. Yeah, but you can do both, yeah. you know, when it's affordable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it's, so, it's so important to, you know, have a, a practitioner, a healer that you can trust. Because, you know, we're, we're swapping, we're exchanging energy. And so you do want to be safe. So, um, so anyway, I, I have no complaints. <laughs> yeah, I have you. No and I don't know if you actually know that, like, um, you can actually say, like, like, the Black Panthers were, like, pioneers of community acupuncture movement in this country. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? yeah. Yeah, they had uh, they established like a lot of the community clinics where they started doing acupuncture, mm-hmm. so, and, um, and it was like the ear acupuncture protocols that's still been in use mm-hmm. um, in like different clinics for like PTSD for addictions like all over the world, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and that's when there's like a group, that's like when the group of activists in Black Panthers say when we say okay, you know we we have to take things on uh, to into our own hands and like create community clinics for the and have medicine for the people mm-hmm. and it may not um, be something that is like subsidized by the government but we're just gonna do it and make it work and have this medicine for the community mm-hmm. yeah that is actually one of the um, relatively little known. Um, history of uh, acupuncture in the U.S. and, 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 um, but then it's like, uh, in the last couple of years, it's gradually more acknowledged. And I just mm-hmm. want to show my appreciation and just, yeah, like share this with your audience today. Oh, yeah. Thank um, you so much. Yeah. Cause I, I know about the Black Panthers, um, in establishing the community clinics. However, um, no one ever mentioned alternative therapies you know, that were offered, um, you know, to really, you know, um, uh, boost the, the wellness and the health of the community. So, yeah, this is new to me. I mean, I'm not surprised, but, wow, that is really, really cool because, um, yeah, yeah, that's really, really cool. I mean, I know I know a few um, people of African descent that are acupuncture healers, but, um yeah, I never knew about the Black Panthers as being the forerunners in introducing it, you know, the community, making it accessible to the community. That's really, that's really great. Yeah, well, to Huey P. Newton and all of the other comrades who um, were right there on the forefront, you know, doing this important work. 
Yeah, and so when we're um, engaging in like community acupuncture and healing, and it's always warms my heart to think about like all these people that have come before me, and like we are all in this together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we heal ourselves, it also like we it uh, help heals the community, mm-hmm. and um, to really acknowledge the interconnectedness connectedness of us all. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. certainly, certainly. And um, I wanted to. Um, to uh, share your website um, by sharing my screen. I don't know if you can share your screen. Um, I don't know if that's possible. You want to try and, and see um, if, if it is, and, and if so, you could share it, because then I know there's a really nice... Um, uh, I don't think I can share my screen. <laughs> so I didn't enable you to share your screen. Okay, well, I'll share my screen. And and then you could tell me um, uh, sort of what to open for folks. Uh, for the website? For the website, yeah, as far as, um, you know, different parts of it that, um, uh, that you might want me to open for them to see. So, like, for instance, the online workshop is yes, right. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yes, that, that is um, the immune resilience um class that you can download mm-hmm. for free yeah and like um the so we have our online booking on the right side and um and also up here is deep dive healing that is the one-on-one virtual sessions with me mm-hmm. where i guide um can guide you through a process Yes. Or deep healing. Do you want me to click that, or is anything you want me to click anything? Um, uh, or um, is there I anything can... to see there? How about you? All text. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all it's all text. It's but, all text. Um, okay. Yeah, but this is this is the website, so you know how to find us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and here are the hours. Um, and there's a, a semi-private. Oops, let me do that. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to be in the big room, but you're open, are you open every day of the week? Right now, yes, but not <laughs> uh, not the last two weeks of the year. There will have some some days that we we don't have a practitioner, but normally, yes, we open seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And also, we have um, the community acupuncture, and then I uh, we also I have a lo- little bit of um, uh, capacity for private acupuncture of those like who needs a little bit um, mm-hmm. more time uh, with me or that like there are some people I know like still just not comfortable in a group setting even though like when we say group setting people are pretty far apart <laughs> yeah we're very far apart yeah and you yeah. have the ventilation system running and yeah yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, all, the, all of the things we shared, like blankets and stuff like that, we don't share anymore. Yeah. You, you sanitize each space before the next patient comes in. Yeah, we have these, like, really good air purifiers. Yeah, so nothing, we never had any problems in the last two years mm-hmm. uh, since we do all this precautions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So once again... Um, Don, I want to thank you so much for, for joining me to talk about wellness. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me here, Wanda. <laughs> really lovely. And um, we'll have to see when, you know, we're going to have you come back and talk about, uh, you know, sort of, you know, what we carry and that we need to acknowledge, you know, we, we carry a lot from our ancestors that uh, strengthens us, you know, yeah. and, and we also, you know, carry some things that we need to um, to repair. Yeah. Yes, they're and like both of within our reach. Yeah, yeah. So it's good to know these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be happy to come back and have another conversation. All righty. So I will see you at my regular weekly appointment next week. Okay. <laughs> All right, Wanda. And, and have a wonderful, um, you know, full moon, the last full moon of 2021 on Sunday. And and then, um, yeah, I'll see you before the uh the equinox. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, happy solstice. Yes, yes. but the yeah. solstice energy is in the air. It is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, take care. Yes, thank you. Bye bye. Bye. So that was again uh, Donna Chang, and we were talking about. Alameda Community Acupuncture, um, her practice here in Alameda, California, on Lincoln uh, Street. And uh, the website, again, is Alameda Community ACU, uh, dot com. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, actually, I, I did see her on the solstice. And, um, and that full moon on the 18th was phenomenal it was so bright it looked like a light post <laughs> it was so bright uh there was um a ring uh looked like a uh, looked like a rainbow around the moon and uh if any of you all are really interested in um space uh exploration um last night this morning um nasa uh had a cargo dragon uh docking uh to the uh uh, the station uh, with some brand new science experiments, uh, which was um, really exciting to watch. Uh, it wasn't too late Pacific time, so it started around 11.30ish, and it finished around 12.30, 40ish or so. But um, yeah, yeah, it was really exciting on uh, 3.41 Eastern time. And it was recorded, so I'm sure you can go back and watch it. Um, but uh it was really neat uh part of the the mission was here in California and the other part was in Florida and um so we saw the control rooms with uh you know people of african descent you know sort of working in the control room and there was a woman and a, a woman was narrating what we were looking at um but uh it was it was really interesting uh in real time you know um, it was a Facebook Live to be able to, um, you know, talk to the person who was uh, ask questions of the person who was interacting with the public in Facebook, and so it was the Dragon uh, launched on SpaceX's 24th uh, contracted commercial resupply mission, and uh, uh, yeah, and there was um, you know, there were quite a few, there were quite a few science experiments happening and uh and as we were um 
watching the uh, the person from the uh, um, the space center was telling us that um, there was um, let me tell you what I found <laughs> uh, was telling us that um, some of the science that uh, experiments that were used are 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 helping people here uh with uh i guess um surgeries uh let's see let me tell you what let me read you what it says so the best example is um i g a r a system that is coming from the technology from the robotic arm of the space station a robot is used on earth to prevent breast cancer and that technology is coming directly from developments from space. I'm like, wow, that's pretty phenomenal. And then this weekend, there's going to be a launch of NASA's Webb Tech Telescope um, uh, on Sun on Sat- Saturday, December 25th. So um, I'm not certain we're going to be able to watch that, but it sounds like it. So anyway, um, uh, we were also... Um, uh, at the uh, space station in Houston, California, because um, the launch was from the South Pacific Ocean, and and people were tuning in from all over the world <laughs> watching this, and it's so interesting. Um, uh, some of the science um, they're doing bioprinting bandages and improving delivery of cancer drugs in this particular um, mission, assessing infection risk and uh, looking at roots, shoots, and leaves, um, sort of looking, monitoring uh, the development of shoots and roots of plants in microgravity, and then uh, and then a lunar laundromat. And, and then there's a way for ordinary citizens to, um, to, to be space scientists, um, which sounds pretty cool. And so anyway, I'm just reading from the website that sort of reviews what we looked at this morning, last night. Um, and, uh, yeah, but anyway, I'm, I'm really kind of a, a uh, uh, interested in, in space exploration and what's going on in the sky. And, and I wanted to um, continue um, before we move to our, our second interview uh, that's pre-recorded and formally broadcast. Um, about I wanted to tell you about Dr. Matulu Shakur, who is um, a new African um, black man whose primary work has been in the area of health. He's a doctor of acupuncture and was a co-founder and director of two institutions devoted to improving health care in black community. And, and Dr. Matulu Shakur um, has been incarcerated um, Oh gosh, um, I think over 30 years, and um, and his his um, case, as well as others, were reviewed in the um, We Charge Genocide uh, Tribunal, which took place the weekend of the founding the founding anniversary of the Black Panther Party. The Black Panther Party for Self Defense um, is 55 years old as of October 22nd. And so that particular weekend, uh, via online and in person um, at the um, former um, Audubon Ballroom, but now the 
Malcolm X and Betty Shabazz um, Center in New York um, hosted this historic uh, tribunal, which was uh, on the 70th anniversary of William Patterson and um, Paul Robeson's uh, We Charge Genocide petition um, to the United Nations. So this, you know, we're, you know, it has not been addressed. And, and this past weekend, Saturday, there was, um, we 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 don't just charge genocide; we find the United States guilty. And and so if you go to um, the Spirit of Mandela website, you can actually watch the tribunal, as well as you know get updates and and read the summary report. But I wanted to um, just because Donna mentioned the Black Panther Party's um, use of acupuncture and um, bringing acupuncture into community um, for wellness, I just wanted to mention um, Dr. Matula Shakur because um, he is he was one of the leading people to do this. So he was born, I'm reading from his website, uh, Matula Shakur, Shakur is spelled S-H-A-K-U-R dot com. Um, he was born October 8, 1950 in Baltimore, Maryland as Jarrell Wayne Williams, and at age seven he moved to Jamaica, Queens, New York City with his mother and younger city, younger sister. Sorry, His political and social consciousness began to develop early in his life, and um, his mother suffered not only from being black and female, but also, but also she was also blind. And, and these elements constituted uh, Dr. Shakur's first confrontation with the state while assisting his mother navigate or negotiate through the maze that made up the social service system. And um, and through this experience, he learned that the system did not operate in the interest of black people and that black people must control the institutions that affect their lives. Um, so since the age of 16, Dr. Shakur has been a part of the new African independence movement. And as part of this movement, um, he has been a target of the illegal counter-intelligence program, COINTELPRO, carried out by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or FBI. And this was a secret police strategy used in the United States starting in the 1960s to destroy and neutralize progressive and revolutionary organizations. And it is believed that Dr. Shakur's resistance to the program uh, led to his arrest and trial. Um, And I'm going to skip ahead um, to um, uh, his his work um, uh, at the Lincoln Detox Center, but uh, leave it. Um, needless to say, he was uh, politically active and worked with the Revolutionary Action Movement (RAM), a black nationalist group that struggled for black self determination and socialist change in America. And he's also. He was also a member of the Provisional Government of the Republic of New Africa, which endorsed the founding of um, an independent new African or black republic and the establishment of independent black states in the southern United States. Uh, Dr. Shakur also worked very closely with the Black Panther Party, supporting Lumumba and Zaid Shakur. Um, At this point, I'd like to uh, pour a a verbal libation for... um, for um, Russell Maroon Schultz, uh, who just made his transition uh, this weekend, but he did get out of prison, so he didn't die uh, in chains. He was able to be with his family for at least a month. Um, 
before um, he passed just this past weekend. So in 1970, Dr. Shakur was employed by the Lincoln Detox uh, Community Addiction Treatment Program as a political education instructor, and his role evolved to include counseling and treatment of withdrawal symptoms with acupuncture. Dr. Shakur became certified and licensed to practice acupuncture in the state of California in 1976. Eventually, he became the program's assistant director and remained associated with the program until 1978. From 1978 to 1982, Dr. Shakur was co-founder and co-director of the Black Acupuncture Advisory Association of North America and the Harlem Institute of Acupuncture, where at Lincoln, Dr. Shakur had managed a detox program recognized as the largest and most effective of its kind in the National Institute of Drug Abuse, National Acupuncture Research Society, and the World Academic Society of Acupuncture. At uh, BANA, or the Black Acupuncture Advisory Association of North America, he continued his remarkable work and also treated thousands, thousands of poor and elderly patients who would otherwise have no access to treatment of this type. Many community leaders, political activists, lawyers, and doctors were served by BADNA, and over 100 medical students were trained in the discipline of acupuncture. By the late 1970s, Dr. Shakur's work in acupuncture and drug detoxification was both nationally and internationally known, and he was invited to address members of the medical community around the world. Dr. Shakur lectured on his work at many medical conferences and was invited to the People's Republic of China. In addition to his work for the Charles Cobb Commission for Racial Justice for the National Council of Churches, he developed their anti-drug program. And uh, and Donna um, uh, sent me an article about about the Lincoln Center um, that was really interesting um, uh, and about how the government targeted that center for closure multiple times. I mean, multiple times, doing really good work with the people, poor people, community people, and yet it was not supported. But it still exists in other iterations today, and this work continues. Um, so Dr. Shakur, continuing his bio, has five biological children and several grandchildren who may, he maintains loving relationships with despite his incarceration. And he was an inspiration for many of the positive messages in his late adoptive son, Tupac Amaru Shakur's musical work. So anyway, just want to share that with you, uh, Ashe to Sh- Tupac Shakur, Ashe to his mother, Afeni Shakur. And uh, to find out more about Dr. Matula Shakur, you can go to Jericho. Um, Jericho is the movement for political prisoners and prisoners of war. Again, uh, in the spirit of Mandela, uh, for the tribunal, we charge genocide guilty. And matulashakur.com is his website, M-U-T-U-L-U-S-H-A-K-U-R.com. And again, want to thank Donna so much for part one of this um, information, you know, useful information on, on you know, healing protocols and how we can certainly uh, stay well and be well. And uh, so we're closing our, our program today, our show today, with um, an interview with a wonderful, wonderful author of a new book, Life I Square, um, 
uh, Chloe uh, Dose, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she will tell us. <laughs> and, and you can visit her website, and uh, we'll talk about that in the interview as well. It was a great conversation we had last month, and if you missed it, um, here's an opportunity to catch it. Get her book. It's just hot off the presses, and uh, it's uh, it's a really wonderful journey uh, speaking to these wonderful you know, black women, African diaspora women, about what it means to be a black woman in the 21st century and uh, a healthy black woman and sort of that, that trajectory, how, how, how some of these women got to that particular point. And the women cover multiple generations. Um, and, and Chloe's um, story kind of um, knits the wonderful um, tapestry together. Enjoy. Go Queen Linda, handbone, handbone, away, then round the corner and back again. Mm-hmm. A handbone, handbone, where you wife oh, in yeah. the kitchen cooking rice. A handbone, 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 give, give me handbone, give me some handbone. Well now, handbone, handbone, put them on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. If you get a pretty girl, I'll show you how to hold her. Mm-hmm. Handbone, handbone, where you been all around the world and back again. A handbone, handbone, handbone. Congratulations on this publication. Oh, November 2nd, it came out. 
Yes, just uh, a little over two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it's flying off the shelves. <laughs> I pray it is. <laughs> um, you know, it's been such a beautiful journey, and you, you, you know, this book has, you know, I think hopefully served the the women who will read the book, um, the contributors. Mm-hmm. But as you know, as you see my own story woven um, within the other essays, it's also been just a godsend for me as I've, you know, journeyed in my own healing um, experiences. And I organized the book to kind of reflect the progression through um, how we understand ourselves or get to understand ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that that comes out because that is, that is the hope in terms of the identity part really grounding us in who are we and then the healing is what we're to do and the self-trust is how do we want to continue to move forward um, centering um, our decisions on trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and the way that, you know, place and belonging and uh, our our parents and you know, that we inherit, um, but also, you know, we choose for our soul journey. Uh, how mm-hmm. that plays into all of this as well is, is also an aspect of your storytelling and the storytelling of, of your sisters that support this vision. Um, it's just, and it's such a lovely mm-hmm. book as well. Uh, beautiful photographs. Oh, my God. You. These beautiful thank black you. women and all of their textures and and contours, oh, it's just mm-hmm. like, ooh, mm-hmm. yes, it's going to be one Love of those books <laughs> yes, we carry into the next realm, you know? <laughs> I love that, textures and contours. Um, it was important to me to have such a, um, a variety, a diversity of women mm-hmm. in this book because I do believe that for the most anyone who picks up this um, if you're a black woman if you are a woman of color or if you are a woman um, you'll see part of your own story um, Mm -hmm. reflected in the essays of of other women and I do think you know many of these the the topics and the themes that these collective of essays cover are are issues that many women in general like have to understand how to navigate for themselves, but through the lens of a black woman is particularly powerful because we're often not given the opportunity to tell our stories for ourselves um, and not given the opportunity to, to have the mic. And so I'm, I'm so glad it's so well received because the diversity was really important to me um, Mm -hmm. to be able to amplify not just what we have in common, but, the textures and the contours, as you call them, the nuances that make our experiences also very different. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, certainly. And and also, um, you know, the sisterhood, um, you know, the mm-hmm. idea of black women being in each other's company, holding each other up, and, yeah. and your chosen family. You know, you talk about that yeah. a lot uh, in your particular story about how, um, you know, place and home and, you know, impo- being an imposter and, you mm-hmm. know, not quite fitting and then 
not knowing why mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah and secrets and you know all that stuff mm-hmm. all of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're such a, and also you're such a fine writer too. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, the poetry, uh, the descriptive language, you know, the pathos. I mean, it's just like ah. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. You know, it's so interesting for someone who, you know, I did, I, I didn't fully accept uh, the, the, the proclamation the. The claim that I am a writer, I would always say for years, I like to write, you know, I like to write, and sometimes I write, but to say I am a writer and to have the the courage to put it out there, um, it feels very, very weird um, because I'm really stepping into claiming that I have a voice. And I think that Mm -hmm. is, you know, similar to a lot of women, not just who I invited to contribute to this book, but just, you know, black women generally where our voices have been silenced or we've been, you know, living in self-doubt for so long um, or we've been, you know, receiving messages that invalid, that feel like they invalidate us. And so we discount our talents and we discount, um, you know, the magic and the, 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 the richness of our experiences that we can actually bring to life and translate to wisdom. And I think it's important for women right now, now, now more than ever. And that will always be the case, whether it's a year from now or 10 years from now, now, now more than ever, it's time for us to really reclaim our voices. And I think just my trepidation about sharing my own voice is an example and reflection of a lot of women who mm-hmm. I, you know, journey alongside in this um, birthing of this book. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, you know, um, in your contributor section, uh, uh, you write that you're a Congolese American writer and advocate for women. And uh, as a storyteller, you support creativity and belonging of underrepresented women and seek to deepen understanding of and within communities. And you're rooted in a global citizenship. Um, your first 15, your your 15 year career in communications has advanced diverse and inclusive storytelling at domestic and global organizations addressing, addressing education, poverty, and mental health. Most recently at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which you give a lot of um, accolades to in your thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you serve. You can maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, how a lot of times having support, particularly economic support, allows you allows a person uh, to be able to sit in a space and think, and not have to worry yeah. about you know paying the bills, which right. you know um, it's not distracting, but you know it. it eats up your energy <laughs> to the point where yes. maybe, you know, instead of writing or thinking, you, you're sleeping, um, which is right. important. Because you, so you also talk about yes. rest in this book. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I think it is important because to just call out um, the privilege to be able to rest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because so often when we're worried about survival, it's really hard to tap into creativity. You know, mm-hmm. um, when we are worried, of, and that's why I kind of, I really do think of, you know, my spirituality, my creativity, um, and healing all kind of 
being parallel in some way for me personally, um, because once I'm able to unlock that, I mean, the, the correlation between creativity and, and spirituality is like unlocking curiosity. Um, but when you're so focused on survival and so focused on, you know, making it day by day to allow your mind to wander, um, you just don't have the capacity to do that, right? So I think it, it's important. I was blessed to be with um, an organization that really supports maternal health and um, and just wellness of, you know, their their community and their staff. And um, that was particularly evident when I was due for a maternity leave. I was expecting uh, my second child, and I lost that um, pregnancy at 27 weeks. And I was given the opportunity to take a very extensive um, sabbatical for mental health. And I think that was a life-changing, um, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because I got to pause on life. Um, and in that time, that's when I worked on the book. Um, so, you know, one, being a single mother at the time, and everyone's like, how did you find time to do it? And it's because I, I, I had time to breathe. I had time to feel my feelings. I had time to um, to reflect and, and just, get really deep into this writing work but it's hard when the reality is so many of us are just having to go go with emotions keep keep life going and it's hard to heal when you're carrying trauma with you from day to day mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah definitely definitely and um is this when you when you started your podcast as well when you had a time to you know, um, had that break, or had you started that before? Yeah, I actually started the podcast um, after I found a publisher for the book. I was oh. collecting all these. Es- yes, it's so interesting because usually people might assume that the book came out of the podcast. The podcast actually mm-hmm. came out of the book because okay. I was um, I was gathering essays and, and stories from women for the book, but. I was just feeling, I was feeling like I, it would be, it would be a disservice to the collective of what Black women's stories have to offer if mm-hmm. I didn't kind of create a broader space for them to exist. And so, as I was collecting these stories, I was like, "These are too good. I, I want to. These are conversations. You know, part of storytelling is." You know, when you write it out, it's one-way communication. But when we're in actual dialogue with each other, we're able to lean in, ask deeper questions, pull back layers. Um, Sometimes, and I can include myself in this, some of my biggest revelations come from, you know, what a woman in conversation is able to hold up as a mirror to me. Um, And that's when I kind of have my aha moments is in dialogue, talking it out. And so... I chose to expand the concept of what I started with the book in podcast form because I also think that if we're going to make healing a priority, we also need to integrate it into our daily routines. 
And so mm-hmm. offering these conversations week by week and making kind of continuous um, introspection part of our our habit, I think, is just a, a healthy way to normalize the, the, the question asking, the self-examination you're doing with yourself as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, certainly, certainly, yeah. And, um, and you currently uh, serve on the Washington, D.C. Mayor's Commission for Women. Um, and uh, are you still producing your, your show, um, your podcast? Yes, I am. You know, I've just finished, the week before the book came out, just finished the, the fourth season, and it's just mm-hmm. been such a beautiful journey as pause for a book release. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm having conversations with people like you, but I do intend to pick up in January, and I'm thinking about how to get creative with conversations, and so I'm thinking that season five might actually be a full season um, in conversation with men about mm-hmm. feminist issues <laughs> mm-hmm. and and women-related issues, and I'm... Um, I, there's a man who is a doula, a black man who's a doula, who I want to talk to. Oh. They, I want to mm. talk to men about their relationships with their mothers or being a father to a daughter and all the the kind of areas that we don't always hear the male perspective on. I've never had a man on the podcast, but I think mm-hmm. it might be an interesting way because Ultimately, the the premise of the of life, I swear, um, in all of its forms, is to really provoke us to ask ourselves these kind of existential questions, like, who am I? What do I need? What are my boundaries? What? How am I taking inventory of the things that bring me joy and the things that I need to say no to more often? And that'll mm-hmm. help us form a deeper relationship with ourselves. And once we form deeper relationships with ourselves, we're better to better prepared to receive and to recognize and to nurture deeper relationships with others. And so, um, I think that work is is kind of a u- universal journey that I hope we all go on. But integrating, mm-hmm. you know, other voices that relate to and are in relationship with black women, I think is important too. Oh, certainly, certainly. So how does uh, a person um, uh, listen to your podcast? Uh, where do they go and uh, and follow? How do they follow your podcast? Yeah, they can go um, to Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, it would be, um, it would be searchable. And as a default, you can also go to my website, which is com, and it has all of the links to um, to podcast platforms. Okay, awesome, awesome. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just working my way through your bio. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, we, uh, You also um, write that you are a uh, founding board member of, is it Huru? H-U-R-U. yes. Huru. Huru. Oh, like you Huru, like freedom. Okay. Yes, exactly. It's Swahili, um, I believe, for freedom. And okay. I mm-hmm. am so honored. It's been, I don't believe that most board member experiences are as delightful as this one <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because it is essentially 
it's a nonprofit, but what they do is they operate a a home um, in Northeast Washington, D.C., and you can go into this space, and it's, it's run by a dear friend called Imani Sanders, and you go into this space, and she does everything to possibly um, just allow you to rest easy, and she has, there's this ministry of rest, really like the power of rest allows us to to have more clarity that allows us to restore our wellness in different ways. And so the whole experience is not just around rest and sleep and meditation, but also, you know, tapping into um, different healing practices and tapping into how to nourish your body with, with food and drink. And um, it is a, a all weekend experience, but, it's been, they, I think they're booked six months out because it seems to be similar to the book. It's such a timely, um, timely time, that's the word, to introduce <laughs> rest and stillness and, um, and what we can, what we walk away from after really rooting ourselves in rest is, a deeper understanding of what we need to prosper, <laughs> I believe. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a, it's been a, a fun and um, and rewarding experience working with Huru. Mm, yeah, sounds sounds lovely. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're you're not un- unfamiliar with uh, Oakland, California, and the Bay Area. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and actually. Um, you're you're actually I don't know if you're here yet, but you're gonna be here, you know, for an event this tonight. Friday. Oh, tonight. Yes. Okay, safe travel. Yes. <laughs> and you. um yeah, yeah. So um I'm not sure I I didn't know that um Malanga Cascalord, um, you know, Ashe, mm. uh the the founder of uh of Hua Dia Congo mm-hmm. is your mm-hmm. uncle, but love yes. love him, love his work, you know, love um Love Musi Congo and and her sister mm. brother uh, Quasi, Tiazi, uh, uh, yes, yes, mm-hmm. and the way they are just carrying the work forward. I mean, they are so wonderful, and and all the other, um, you know, African artists that make the Malanga Cascalord Center home. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, such a beacon of light. You know, in the Bay and on the West Coast, uh, we just lost mm-hmm. um, Papa Zach. Um, who he just passed, and they they took his remains to um, to Senegal to bury him. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful. You probably know Mama mm-hmm. Naomi. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I was just thinking about some of the artists that whose work kind of resonate with uh, Life I Square, and I was thinking about um, uh, Sister um, uh, Amana Tabor Smith and her um, deep. Waters Dance Theater, and uh, she does a whole thing around um, black women um, and black women resting, um, which, and I don't know if you know about it, but it's just, like, mm-hmm. simply awesome, and, uh, oh. and she calls herself, like, a headmistress, and, and she collaborates with, like, these phenomenal um, uh, women, black women, mm-hmm. and creates these... Um, these theatrical dance events that bring in the community but are really focused around a black women wellness and um and just the whole idea, I mean, you know, that you will be talking about, 
you know, taking time for oneself because, you know, women in general don't do that. <laughs> and black women, you know, as the right. caretakers of humanity, really don't do that. And, and so I was wondering, going back to your wonderful book, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, um, you know, Elaine, who writes this wonderful forward. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. It just each page is like, oh, do I want to turn to the next one? It's just so oh, lovely just hanging out here. <laughs> yeah, and and then the way you, you put, you know, like you have your forward, and then you have these, these big, you know, sort of places of contemplation, the space we deserve, you know, mm-hmm. uh, coming home to ourselves. And, and you give us this, like, sort of a... Um, a meditation, and then we read, and then we get another meditation. Yeah. You know, part one, some of our parts, we get this meditation. Yeah. Our stories affirm us, like, oh, okay, and you can sort of sit in that, and you read these wonderful right. contributions, and then between worlds, another meditation, like, you know, so where do we belong? And then you yeah. have part two, bear witness, uh, you know, another meditation, still I rise, more essays, the current of yeah. uh, do saying goodbye, and then your part three, piece it together, P-E-A-C-E, you know, another meditation. Mm-hmm. If the heart mm-hmm. could talk, that's so awesome. Really want you to share something from there. <laughs> yes. Human nature. Um, and then you have your epilogue, you know, um, and then you have mm-hmm. your afterward with intention. And that's something that you talk about a lot in your story, having yeah. intention. Right, because it is so, when you don't have a good sense of self, and um, which really means when your foundation, whatever that means to you, isn't, you know, locked and centered, you, um, and I talk about this in one of my essays, is you become distracted by the world, whether that is messages that tell you you are not enough, whether that... Um, is, you know, this cycle of seeking and longing which leads you to toxic relationships, whether it is, you know, equating your value to your productivity, all of those feel like distractions, Um, distracting you from really grounding yourself. And I talk about this a a lot as well, especially in the beginning, is coming Mm -hmm. home to ourselves. When we come home to ourselves, we are nurturing um, ourselves. We are affirming what we intuitively know, you know. Um, And so when I'm leading with intention and living with intention, it means I'm being a gatekeeper of my energy and my investment. Um, And I often think of, you know, our, our energy and what we, the love that we're able to, to offer to the world is a currency, and so not everything is worth it. And so being a gatekeeper is really having the discernment rooted in self-trust to be able to identify and um, align yourself with things that will nurture you um, and nourish you. And living with intention in that way is this continuous journey of um, uh, committing to a very um, aligned path for ourselves and being the drivers of that. Because with distractions, sometimes we can be wanderers um, in ways that um, that aren't rooted in our intuitive understanding. We're, we're questioning, we're self-doubting, 
and we're moving from a place of by looking to the world, looking to these worldly things and worldly um, validation uh, to direct us. When if we trust ourselves, we we know what feels good and what doesn't, and that those should be the drivers of our path. Mm-hmm. Yes, certainly, certainly. Um, so um, maybe before you uh, you share with us, um, you know, these these wonderful women uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. that 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 join you on this journey. Um, yeah, would you like to share something from the book? Um, I, uh, as I sure. was reading your different, um, your different essays, it's like ah, I really like. Yeah, I'm curious which which was there a particular part of the book that resonated most with you between part one, two, and three? <laughs> oh man, it all did. You should see all these sticky <laughs> things on. <laughs> Book. And all my notes was like, okay, ask her about that and ask her oh. about that. Um, yeah, I was thinking about um, on page sixteen, seventeen. Um, I was also thinking about you know, um, you know, the cat with the nine lives, like that, like that mm. part, and yes, coming home to ourselves, a room of her own. You know, I was thinking about Sojourner yes. Truth, page sixteen to seventeen, and then, um, uh, and then. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, even if you don't have sisters, you know, that listen like, you know, you do, this book, this book uh, introduces us to sisters that listen, and that's page yeah. 15. And then I was thinking, as you already mentioned, about identity and home and thought about the polarities, you know, the black and the white, the privilege and the access that you talk about, yeah. and exit strategies that... If you have privilege, you can exit. You don't have to stay like other people do. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking about the places that shaped your person. And um, I've got another side to this thing. (laughs) Oh, you really, really Um, got the book. (laughs) Yeah, I thought about birthrights, thought about how birthrights. And uh, and then I just have, I told myself, okay, go to page 78. You got some notes there. Oh, wow. (laughs) Page Page 96 oh through 98, you've got notes there, 101, 113. Through 14, you've got notes there. I'm thinking about the father and father loss. And yeah. um, and I was thinking about, you know, some of the things you touched on because it's not a pretty journey. Um, but right. the beauty is that you, you it passed, and you and you are past that. Um, you're, you're alive and you're yeah. well because yeah. you, you were able to face this and, and not be done in by it. Um, right. And and you have joy. I think you choose it in one of these essays. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, my god. I, I read this. Um, and and then I thought I love if the heart could talk. I think maybe I want you to read something on page one nineteen, and then feeling gutsy. Love that one twenty, and then perfection one sixty seven and one sixty eight. So those are my notes. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh yes. Um, yes, let me read since if the heart to talk is your um okay. is is your favorite. Um Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, okay, so hold on, hold on. But it's all my favorites, you know. Oh my I love goodness. the story of your son, um, who um whose brother yeah. is the son. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's so wonderful, isn't it? Yes, it I mean it's it's been a you know, a blessing 
to look at that, look at loss in that way. You know, just mm-hmm. I think often, and I think the power of this book for me personally and what I walked away and what I, what I, why I entered into this process, but also what I walked away with was the power of the narrative that we, that we tell, you know, and so often we'll tell narratives that have been perpetuated by whiteness, you know, to ourselves, and we'll, we'll accept those narratives. Um, it could be whiteness. It could be male-dominated worlds. It could be, you know, just spaces that are not meant for us. They kind of project the narrative, and oftentimes we internalize them. And so I think it's important. Um, and also, you know, narratives around around trauma as well. We we can get um, we can get stuck in them. And I think mm-hmm. it's important for us to to know that the narrative we choose for ourselves is a choice. There's power in the auto- autonomy to be able to rewrite the narrative we want that um, is more from a place of um, being being the, the most beautiful parts of ourselves um, and mm-hmm. forgiving the parts that we're not big fans of, but also loving those inclusively. Um, and I think that, you know, as it relates to, to grief, in that particular essay, which is titled Cradled by the Sun, it, mm-hmm. I'm going to choose this other narrative. I'm going to, and it, it's a, it's one that, the, the narrative for those who haven't read yet is around the loss of the pregnancy that I mentioned a bit ago, but looking at that loss as, you know, while this this happened and my son who was grieving in his own way was able to change from a loss to looking at his brother from the eyes of he's still with us, he's still part of our family, and even just the other day, I think it was yesterday we were in the back seat and he was like, why does the son keep kissing me? Why is Molly, my brother, why is he still kissing me? Because it was super sunny and the the sun was beaming on his cheeks. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, why does he keep kissing me? And I'm like, that's all love. And so I, I really do appreciate how he was able to shift, you know, my interpretation of loss. I think grief so often is love with nowhere to go. And so with nowhere to go, we can get frustrated and angry at why did this happen? Um, mm. But if you're able to channel that love that you know you still have innately in you um, in a way that comforts you, um, then, you know, it's a beautiful extension of life. Um, and so with that said, mm. I <laughs> am going to... <laughs> Um, gosh. Okay, so I am I was figuring out I'm gonna read the intro of If the Heart Could Talk and I'm gonna read part of um the the next essay called Love After Love, um, between pages twenty two and twenty three. So if the heart could talk. Our greatest love stories are those centered on how we cultivate relationships with ourselves. If the heart could talk, mine would tell me to rest child. She would remind me that our intake is more important than our output, and knowing the distinction allows us to set boundaries that make replenishing possible. 
Our value is not in what we do for others. It is in who we inherently are. Rest has become foreign to our overworked hearts. But when we're still enough to listen to the whispers of our needs, we're able to honor the love we both give and require. And so I am going to read. Thank you. So I'm going to did, read. Oh, did go you ahead. before before you read um your essay or parts of it, so those those really wonderful nuggets that um that as I mentioned earlier, that could be the prompt for others to okay, mm-hmm. have your notebook handy. Now write mm-hmm. what you feel based on this and then, you know, um you could read what follows because I think this book will allow others to write their own narratives. Yes. Because it doesn't matter yes. if it becomes a published document. It matters right. that it happened. <laughs> yes. It's just the mm-hmm. exercise of being our own storytellers. And whether you choose to tell those stories out loud and publish it to a, in a book or whether you choose mm-hmm. to write it down and then burn it, you know, in a bonfire, it is the mm-hmm. fact that by writing out your story and processing your story, you're going through the pain points of your journey. You're not going around it. You're not um, bypassing it because it's more comfortable to disassociate from it. You are sitting in it and you're, mm-hmm. you're figuring out how do you want to interpret this major life experience? Um, and then how do you exercise the muscle of giving yourself grace even through um, what may have in the past caused trauma? And I think it's, it, 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 it's a exercise we have to do to to really like detox it from our system because often mm-hmm. you know we walk around with all of these um, burdens really weighing on our shoulders, weighing on our hearts, weighing on our ability or inability to connect with other people because um, mm-hmm. we can't get past um, what we've kind of shoved and oppressed down, and so. Mm-hmm. You know, clearing that space so we can rewrite our narrative, I think, is, um, I'm glad that you called that out because that is a hope for this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, um, talking about sort of calling it out, um, I uh, was leading these workshops, Heal Her Storytelling Circles for Black Women Who've Experienced Gender-Based Violence, and I couldn't. And we were hosting them at Joyce Gordon Gallery in downtown Oakland, and it was really beautiful because all the art for that particular year were was was um from women and particularly black women um globally mm-hmm. and and I think we started with art from uh, from Brazil Bahia and um and and so I was just thinking you know uh, people were ashamed you know they were mm-hmm. ashamed of the story the stories that they had lived through and that they carried and hadn't been able to release so it was so hard to get the sisters to come we were doing um Really, one we were painting, we were dancing, we were, mm-hmm. you know, writing stories, we were doing channeling. It was just so wonderful and listening, you know, to each other, mm-hmm. um, you know, how we made it through. We weren't, you yeah. know, we weren't talking about, oh, you know, what was me, but how we made it through and couldn't get anybody there. So this particular vehicle that you created mm-hmm. is a way to do the same thing. Um, if people can't get out, you know, um, yeah. the story can get yeah. out. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. And then also, you know, when you talked about the toxins, you have a 
you you say that really well in one of these essays. I'm like, oh, I I I put a star by it. <laughs> so mm. so wonderfully put. But the whole idea of uh, of detachment um, as escape, um, not yeah. as per- detachment as perspective is a good thing. But right. detachment as escape means that you leave your body here and you go somewhere else and you're not mm. not being old. And and then also within your story, which I think is really courageous, and another two authors, um, the woman who writes about growing up, you know, when she was born during the, um, uh, you know, when the Civil War happened yeah. in Rwanda. and yeah. But she was a baby and her parents came back, but they were harmed from what they mm-hmm. had witnessed. And the families were harmed, but she didn't kind of know how to, what did she do with that? And, you know, right. I think about pre-verbal, pre-verbal trauma, you know, uh, which you talk about in one of your essays. And so anyway, you know, it's just sort of like all the different different crannies and corners yeah. get touched on. And then um, and then you got, you know, our sister, um, you know, Julie Wilson, beauty director and cosmopolitan yeah. magazine, she writes, go forth and be dope. Like he's like okay yeah, yeah. We, we had all these stories we put them in I perspective and it's like yeah <laughs> yes I was very excited to have that one be the last one you know just mm-hmm. the title in and of itself is you've taken all this stuff you know what you know trust that you know you know you you know how to move and walk accordingly and just go ahead and manifest all the things you want for yourself because you deserve and. Julie's essay is interesting because, you know, she might be one of the more well-known contributors in this book because she, you know, works for Cosmo and she's worked for Essence for many years. Um, But she talks about perfectionism. And Mm -hmm. um, one of her quotes is, so much of our world today is a farce, and it's important to dismantle false perceptions of perfection. And I think that is so powerful, really coming from mm-hmm. someone who has been in in the light before and who's got many eyes on her and who also, you know, is navigating being a mother, being being a careerist, doing all of these things and how imperfect that can feel um, with the strength of 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 how you're perceived is really a demand on you. And so I, I love that she ended it with let's dismantle this idea of perfectionism and be us authentically, know our value, and then just go forth and and be as dope as you <laughs> as as you know to be. So mm-hmm. I love I love how the progression of these essays really take us on a journey of um, of seeing ourselves in um, at a higher pedestal than we might have before we open the book. I hope. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm happy to read from mm-hmm. um, Love After Love. You mentioned that you liked the line around being gutsy, and so I'm going to yes. start with that one. Okay. Um, And this, for anyone listening, is around having to leave a relationship. Um, And this was the separation from my my son's father. And 
how scary that was. Um, but then love after love is, is actually taken from a poem by uh, a black man, he, um, Michael Wilcox. Um, and oh, he yeah, has a poem yeah, called Love yeah. After Love. Yes, mm. and it is beautiful. I have it framed next to my bed, and it is around, you know, take down all the love notes and feast on the life that you have um, by yourself. And it's kind of like falling in love with yourself after romantic love might have left you heartbroken and in pieces, but the love after love is the love with self. So leaving that relationship felt gusty. Opting for single motherhood over partnership while expecting was bold but necessary. I was terrified of the journey ahead, but more than that, I knew I deserved peace. I was ready to surrender from the pull from God that was telling me I had so much more to both receive and learn from love. After cycles of pouring into unhealthy relationships, it became clear that if I wasn't intentional about working in better partnership with myself, that I would self-sabotage. For too long, I extended myself to others and neglected my own needs. Sacrificing my aspirations for those of partners left me in shortage of self-worth values, which became a revolving door of deficit-based thinking around what I was made or capable of. I had to make space for my personal restoration without being upset at the fading dream of partnership. The day I ended that relationship was the day I learned boundaries. For the next year, I centered my energy around radical self-love and honest intentionality. I needed time to learn self-trust. I had dwelled in my own self-doubt for too long, and it became damaging to carry those dead thoughts into new spaces and new life. That year was spent unpacking my patterns of choosing grace for others over grace for myself, working through trauma that had tormented my health, and finding stability and stillness and rest. The gentler I was with myself through the language I used and the margin of error I allowed the more I humanize myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is so, so, so beautiful and so necessary and so needed, um, you know, as um, the pandemic continues and mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to figure some things out. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. timely. I think with the pandemic, we are, you know, I I think a lot about this because, prior to the pandemic, I've worked within my organization a lot around diversity and inclusion and all the initiatives and employee resource groups. And um, I think writing this book actually piggybacks on a lot of what I was trying to do, but just couldn't make a lot of traction in the workplace um, in mm-hmm. terms of DNI. Um, but I think this book accomplishes that in terms of it is a rebellion for all of the things that a workplace culture didn't allow it is the book and just generally our kind of the trends that we've and hopefully it's not a trend hopefully it's here to stay but just the practice that we've been exercising to choose autonomy to set boundaries and to um, nourish our wellness um, and to give ourselves what an inclusive culture couldn't 
which was a sense of belonging. I hope that this book, as it represents community, um, gives readers a sense of belonging. And I think it'll be interesting as we go back to work to see how after this year and a half we've been doing all this work and been really in fellowship with other black women around our collective healing. When we go back to work, it'll be interesting to see how organizational culture shifts to meet us where we now are in this new space, this new version of our sound. Because I do think that we are requiring now because we know um, how much we more we we flourish and we um, we when we set our boundaries, you know, it becomes more of a non-negotiable. And so it'll be interesting to see how we're able to sustain that. Um, mm-hmm. And then also how organizations and just the outside world really meets us where we are. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And um, and you write uh, in your um, <clears throat> in your uh, afterward that uh, not having answers doesn't invalidate the beauty and necessity of our stories. They will mm-hmm. be written as the journey continues. And um, you um, the the quote that's pulled out is, and I I wrote it down myself. It is mm-hmm. never too late to form new images of ourselves. Because ultimately, it's what we behold that's most important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most important. And you and you write about, and I don't know what essay that's in. It might be in here, um, where you would you know take physical inventory, like you would look at your face mm-hmm. and notice it, like regularly, so you wouldn't miss mm-hmm. changes. And then you stop doing that. It's like, oh, where did those freckles come from? <laughs> right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. That was probably one of the first little pieces of writing that I wrote, you know, and I think that it is when I when I started writing because I do think that it, it that scene of like really looking at ourselves and looking into ourselves is mm-hmm. one of the most intimate like ways we can get get with ourselves. Um, it is, and I used to do this. I used to do this when, at times when I was really sad, you know, just go to the mirror and look into myself, look at myself, look actually into my own eyes. Like it's, it's very, um, awkward at first, (laughs) but it helps me calm myself down. And this was in my twenties when I was in a, in, um, Uh, a very toxic relationship and I got out of the habit but um, you know after this loss and separation I started doing it again and I'm like wow so much life lives on my face that I hadn't recognized or celebrated and Mm -hmm. I think we get in just in the, the habit of going with emotions and trying to keep up with life and but when we take inventory of ourselves, whether it's physically through our eyes or our face or our, you know, laugh lines or cry lines <laughs> on our foreheads, um, or whether it's taking inventory of how do I actually feel, I'm too, I get too caught up in the habit when people ask ask me how I feel, is I'm good, and then I start to believe that I'm good, which means I start to ner- normalize 
some of the unhealthy thought patterns I've had uh, that I'm not actually bringing to the surface. I'm actually mm-hmm. not good. And it's okay to say I'm actually not good. But sometimes we don't even know if we're good or not <laughs> because mm-hmm. we we haven't been still enough to ask ourselves, how does this make me feel? And so actually late, lately in the last few years, you know, when I when I call a girlfriend or someone comes over, I don't ask them how they are. I ask them, how's your heart? And they kind of mm-hmm. are taken mm-hmm. aback and they're how is my heart? <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. or I, I often, you know, ask women, friends I haven't spoken with in a long time, are you happy? And they're like, mm. do you mean happy with career? Do you mean happy in my relationship? Do you, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> Cause they <laughs> haven't even asked themselves that. Um, it feels like such a, um, uh, such a random question and I I say answer it how you want are you happy and Mm -hmm. so in your totality are you are you are you feeling good are you feeling your pain points are you you know and so I I just think the the exercise of going to the mirror is asking myself how's your heart are you happy are you um are you feeling triggered right now um and then what are you celebrating about yourself you know and so I think I'm I'm just really an advocate for that self examination at any given any given point in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and when you mentioned triggered, that I think that's in another essay, one of your essays, because like you are the fan, I am your fan. <laughs> so I'm like mm-hmm. I'm just sort of living in your essays, although the other essays are great. <laughs> I just really love how your essays just sort of guide the conversation in a real uh, substantive way. Um, But you Mm -hmm. talk about triggers as, you know, um, not being the terminus in that, okay, you're triggered. Like, you know, you're not going to (laughs) die. You know, and and there can be, you could could turn this into an opportunity, (laughs) you know, as opposed to falling apart and letting it control, you know, what you do, you know, next. uh, but I, I do want to give you a chance to um, to talk about um, where you're going to be this evening, and and mm. and the person who's hosting is a contributor, and and yeah. also you know give a shout out to your your wonderful cast of writers mm-hmm. and and wonderful women yeah. who have shared their stories with us in you know Life I Square, intimate stories about Black women on identity, healing, and self trust. Um, you know, by you, and you could tell us your name again because I don't know how to pronounce it still. <laughs> you got to send it to me phonetically. <laughs> yes, no, thank you so much. Um, I I love, so this Friday um, at 8 p.m. at Black Girls Greenhouse in Oakland, um, it is, they have just celebrated in August their one-year anniversary, but they seem to be a household name in Oakland these days. Um, but they're all Black Girl Greenhouse is all about Black Girl Joy, and it's always a perfect time to grow, which I think goes so hand in hand with this book. But I'll be in conversation with one of the the co-owners of Black Girl Greenhouse, Kalkadan Gabriel Hines. She is also my sister. Fun fact, um, but um, she's also a contributor to this book, and her book is called The Triumph of Heartbreak, and it is beautiful. 
Um, alongside her, some of the other contributors in this book, um, you mentioned Elaine Balkaroff, um, who wrote the foreword as well as her own essay, um, and Julie Wilson. We also have another Oakland native. Her name is Morgan Ashley Bryant. Um, uh, Dion Ivory is a phenomenal creative director. Alex L. and Lauren Ash are both healers in their own space. Um, Miriam uh, Lumaca, she is um, probably the eldest of the contributors. I, I believe she's in her um, 60s, and she's based in Morocco. She is a queen, and she talks about her um, ancestral lineage that um, the one kind of lesson they pass down from generation to generation is the um, audacity to aspire, even starting with um, her ancestors who were uh, slaves, enslaved, and how they always aspired and kind of broke glass ceilings. And so I do believe that the collective of all of these essays are just, they cover the spectrum of what it is to be resilient and on fire and reflective and, um, and insecure and vulnerable in in, in so many different ways that it's hard to articulate the breadth of this book. Um, but I do think, you know, Life I Swear is one of those things that um, is just like a sigh and exhale in reflection of life. And so um, I'm very proud of all of the women for being willing and brave enough to share their stories. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so are we. And um, the imprint is Harper Design. Um and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's available, <laughs> and it's in the first mm-hmm. printing still. I'm sure it's going to go into others, um, but yeah. you can get hot off the presses, hot off the November presses. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're going to have books available this evening, I mean, not this evening, but on the 19th, and people can get an yeah. autograph from you and the mm-hmm. other uh, women who are going to be there sharing as well, which would be really That's awesome. Right. It's nice having autograph books. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Chloe, congratulations. And say your whole name for us, please. (laughs) Chloe Dulce Bisueto. Yeah, thank you. And um, uh, if you'd like to call out, you know, any any names of any of your ancestors as, you know, um, as we conclude, you know, feel free. If you have anything else you want to share that we didn't cover, feel free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just mainly encourage anyone who is interested in leaning in more even beyond the pages of this book to check out the um the the podcast um and Mm -hmm. you know if you have ideas and you want to nominate a speaker um if you have a phenomenal story that you'd like to share in the podcast um feel free to to send it my way and you can do that through the website as well okay Awesome, awesome, and I've linked to um, uh, the uh, the read the uh, the reading uh, celebration mm-hmm. at Black Girls Good. Greenhouse, which is on your web. You have a section called events, which makes it yes. easy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I've linked to your website as well. <laughs> okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Looking forward to other conversations. Um, have a wonderful time. Um, this weekend and um the full moon is coming in which is awesome mm. awesome and uh yeah and i hope you have a safe 
uh, wonderful, comfortable flight this way. Thank you. I will. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You take good care. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, so um, that oh, was... Oh, good uh, morning, uh, Nyla Rose. How are you? Oh, God. Did I... Mm-mm. I thought that was her. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Oh, now I do. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, yeah, it no, tells I me I'm muted. That's funny. <laughs> oh, but, okay, oh, no, I'm glad you can hear me. This is Niala. <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> Niala, sorry, I pronounced your name wrong. Sorry. Um, That's and, all right. Uh, so I'm so happy. Do. Oh, yeah. Uh, say it again for me, real quickly, so I don't mess it up. Niala. Niala. Mm-hmm. Niala, okay. Niala Rose. And um, you are an accredited Tai Chi. Tai Chi, is it Tai Cha. Chi Kwan? Cha. It's, Tai Chi. It's pronounced Tai Chi Cha. Tai Chi Cha, teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should have asked you all this stuff before now, but oh well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you've been practicing Tai Chi and uh, Qigong for over a decade. Um, Two years ago, you co-created a group for movement teachers determined to make movement increasingly accessible to everyone. Um, uh, You have worked in the health field for 25-plus years with a focus on marginalized communities and women with cancer. And um, I was introduced to you by our wonderful, um, one of our sister, wonderful sister, um, and, uh, and I just lost her name. Oh, my goodness. Arisica. Um, Arisica, 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 um and um and 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 the, you uh, and it was through the uh women uh cancer women of color women what's the, the name of the women resource of, center? Yeah, women cancer resource center, which used to meet in person and because of COVID shifted to an online platform. And um and I think the first um uh, tai Chi um, meeting that I, I joined you in, I think it was on a Sunday morning, and it was just, oh, man, you just have this ambience that's so soothing, um, and you're in your garden, and everything looks so beautiful and green and colorful and fresh, and, and, and you know, just being able to be in one's body, um, particularly when one is sort of going through some things that are changing within one's body um, that are might be unexpected and and one might not know be know sort of like what the outcome's going to be has been like really mm-hmm. really centering you know to, to be able to join you in practice around this um, and yeah I just want to tell you thank you and so that that's sort of why I wanted you to join us and just talk about what you do in and and I just want to just bear witness to its importance in my life. It's been really wonderful learning the sounds and the places and the breath and the movement for these different energy channels and being able to, like, open them, you know, fearlessly, you know, through your instruction and, and illustration. Thank you so much, Wanda. Wow, what a testimony. I appreciate that very much. It is exactly what I had hoped to do when I decided to become a certified accredited teacher in this form. And I will talk about a little bit the difference between Tai Chi Chuan 
which is what most people think of when they think of Tai Chi, and the form I do, which is Tai Chi Cha. So Tai Chi Chuan is fantastic. I've done it. I first did it many, many, many years ago, actually, and I enjoy it very much. But the challenge is it's 108 moves, and it normally takes people about a couple of years of dedicated practice to learn all the movements, and it requires space. It requires muscles. It requires good balance. And um, if one is going through something, whatever that might be, you know, physical ailments or difficult diagnosis, just challenges in our lives, it can be really, really helpful. But there's this other form called Tai Chi Cha, which is 19 movements in one pose. So one can learn them much more quickly. And it's not a martial art. It's an inner discipline. And it's more similar to Qigong because you get a chance to do that same movement several times in a row. And you don't, other than something called joyous breath, the thing with the other movement is your breath just takes care of it. So you're not concerned about breathing in in a particular pose, breathing out. You're just letting your body move. And you mentioned one of the main things that I've noticed with this, which is so many of us are out of our bodies, right? We're out of our bodies. We're in our heads. Mm -hmm. And doing this practice really helps people to get centered back into their bodies. We focus on the feet, and in focusing on our feet, bringing our attention and awareness into our feet to connect us to the earth, then what happens is, we find ourselves by the end of the hour, by the end of the practice, really settled back into our bodies. And that's important, especially if you're feeling stressed and you're all in your head, um, you're back in your body and you can be grounded. But the other thing is in between each movement, we do something called resting pose. And this is the place that I call it a stillness of wholeness. And I use that word wholeness on purpose because when one has a difficult diagnosis, one can feel like the body has betrayed you somehow. Not everyone feels that way, but a lot of people feel that way. And I know it from um, my experience with um, so many people with cancer, but people who have had surgeries that were unexpected, people who have parts of their bodies removed, they no longer feel whole. And it's important to remember that there is something in our bodies, inside us, that no matter what else is happening, we are still whole. So to come to rest over and over again during this practice, just feeling into that sense of I am whole is really, really powerful if you let it be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I want, I want to feel that stillness and believe I am whole. I just believe in the meantime that you and others that tell me that I am whole and that we are whole <laughs> despite um, surgeries, that you know what you're talking about while I try to figure mm -hmm. it out and believe it. Because <laughs> I, I, I trust, you know, you know what you're talking about. I just don't know it yet. Like know it, know it in myself. Exactly, exactly. And I will say for me, it's taken 
me a long time to to feel into that, right? And mm-hmm. so um, I, um, for instance, I will say, um, since I was born, I've had really terrible allergies. And there are two things that this practice has done for me is it's really increased my lung capacity so I can mm-hmm. breathe so much better. And we know from people who study the breath, study breathing, yogis, and so forth, how important that is to fill, to breathe fully, to breathe deeply. And mm-hmm. that helps us be grounded in our bodies. That helps us calm down. And so as you just described, you know, I just kind of trusted. People said, this will help. And I said, okay, let me try it. <laughs> and it did help. It helped a lot. And so, yeah, I did have to just trust in the beginning that um, this thing is helpful. These people who have been doing it 20, 30 years or more, they say this, and okay, I, I believe them. Um, I'll actually let me talk about how I came to this particular form. Um, mm. So I meet Tai Chi Chuan. And I was working at an integrative cancer clinic and um, in Oakland. I'm in the Bay Area. And um, the medical, I was in charge of the clinic, the CEO. And the medical director and I, we were trying to figure out what could we do on an ongoing basis. For, and we kept mm-hmm. trying all these different things um, that people said they wanted. And um, some people liked something other people didn't, and so then it was a challenge trying to get them to come. And it was just once a week, but it was, you know, one afternoon a week. We felt it was important so folks don't burn out. We felt it was really important to include staff wellness, really encourage that people rest, encourage that people eat properly, um, that they take their breaks. And we wanted to include movement. And so this, this woman came in, Jen Bean is her name, And she ended up becoming my teacher. And she's fantastic, and I really just want to um, to mention her now by name because Tai Chi comes from, we don't know who started it, right, but we know that it comes from East Asia, and so we always want to acknowledge the teachers known and unknown. But this form, Tai Chi Cha, was originated by a Western man, an American man, a white man named Justin Stone, and Jen studied with him. And Jen taught us first chakra tai chi, where we use sound. And in making these sounds, you have to deepen your breath. <laughs> and so separate from the movement, doing the sound with the movement just helps me so much for reasons that I said, weak lungs. And so it helps me so very much. And so Jen said, if anyone wants to become a teacher, let me know. And so I was doing it with her at work for a couple of years, and then I left that job. It's a fantastic place, so no hard feelings, but circumstances in my life meant I left that job. And then I had the time, and I contacted Jen and said, I want to learn this. I want to become a teacher. But originally, it was for stress with staff. And then, as people were telling me the benefits of it, I started working with people with vertigo. And then people Mm. said, and I was reading studies from the Mayo Clinic, from Harvard, from Stanford, saying, oh, Mm. this helps with pain. And Mm. it's important to me. I've always volunteered. So I, I really wanted to offer this form for free. And I do do it for pay as well, but I wanted to offer it for free, in particular, 
to women or non-binary folks who are feeling pain, feeling stress, suffering from other ailments, and help all of us get over the stress. For some people, the stress is so deep, it's actually trauma. So the stress, the trauma of the surgery, of whatever is happening in your life that you have to deal with, the transphobia, the heterosexism, the racism, and come back into our bodies and know that we are okay as we are in our bodies. Our bodies really are whole. And so doing Chakra Tai Chi, my first introduction, and then learning the full form of Tai Chi Cha so I could become accredited, which I did, as well as, I will say for me, taking intensives throughout the years, throughout the year. I try and take a couple intensives, so about every six months I do five to seven to ten day intensive to really go more deeply into these movements so that then I can bring more to my students, whether that person shows up just once or, like you, whether they are ongoing. And then I want to invite in qualities like let's bring mindfulness to this. Let's bring ease, which is actually one of the principles of Tai Chi Sha. Let's bring ease to our movements. So, again, we can really feel into who we are. And mm-hmm. folks tell me it helps with pain. It really helps bringing down the blood pressure, which helps with vertigo. And so it's just it's been amazing to me to hear from people that if they're fatigued, it gives them energy. If they're feeling too hyped up, it slows them down. It really brings you what you need as you do these movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what I really like, um, yeah, I like I like the heart one that you do, and uh, mm-hmm. and I really like I like you know um, you know when you're focusing on the different chakra and you're telling us stories about the different chakra, and and we're doing you know, movement to, I guess, recognize it or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess in a way that, because, you know, we don't normally pay attention to <laughs> um, our autonomic uh, nervous system, things just function, but we don't say, you know, like, thank you, lungs, and thank you, heart, and, you know, thank you, skeletal system. I mean, so I really like the mindfulness aspect of paying attention to these these functions that are so important for us being upright, you know, and alive that we just that pass. And um but when, you know, the different you know, the different sounds like they're singing. You know how you think about the whales are singing? But mm-hmm. you know, we don't think about it. I think about it when I think about sort of the intrusion of these um loud noises that that you know, hurt their ears and things like that. But then I think also about the songs that we're singing as as a species <laughs> that we that we're not listening yes. to that you allow like when we we learn a form um can hear our our bodies singing particularly when we release the stuck energy so then it can yes. the voice can be more clear and then and then that'll help us you know with the healing and you know sort of releasing any kinds of stresses and things like that. So, you know, that's that's what I really like about 
about what you share with us in in the movement and the practice. And then I also like how you know if you're tired, you can sit down and do it. <laughs> and you and you teach yes. us how to do that, and that's cool. Yes, thank you. So um, when I shared with you that I co-created a group for movement teachers to make all kinds of movements accessible. That was our goal, is you can't do Tai Chi Chuan seated and get the full benefits of the movement, but you can do this, Tai Chi Cha seated, and get the full, full benefits of it. And if you can't do it seated, you can actually just visualize doing it. And that, So there are a couple of ways to, I'll just talk about the visualization real quick. So none of this is religious, right? This is just moving. But for a lot of people, visualization can seem like it, it's something religious. So I want to be clear. It's just picturing what the movement might be. And they do it in, say, Feldenkrais or other forms, right? Athletes use it, especially elite athletes use it all the time, right? You visualize yourself doing this thing. And so you can sit down, lie down, and just visualize yourself doing the movements once you learn them. You can also sit and get the full benefit of the movement. And so if you are in a wheelchair, if you are, I had um, in one of my classes a woman who did it throughout her pregnancy. She started out standing, and then it was uncomfortable to stand. And so she would do it seated, right? So people are um, want to sit down because they're tired, because they're pregnant, because their bodies in that moment or their bodies. Um, are unable to um, to stand, and so we really want to make um, the movements that we offer accessible to folks, and so um, so that's important. I and I play around with how does it look for you, and I use that word play on purpose, right? I want to bring a sense of enjoyment to this. Not everyone can sit and get the benefits of meditation, but we can do moving meditation. Some people, I actually prefer walking meditation to sitting meditation. I do both. Mm -hmm. um, but we can do moving meditation, and in the movement, people can, it's basically a form of dance, right? Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga, all those things. It's just moving. It can be a form of dance. You can do this to music music in, the, in your head, the music of the wind, or you can actually play music created by people and, um, and do it to go along with the movement, whatever works for you, so that it becomes more, when I say more accessible, I don't necessarily mean like physical accessibility. Certainly I want that. I want to make it accessible to as many people as are interested in it. Um, but um, to make it accessible to you means you do it in silence. Is that helpful? Are more words helpful? Do we attach sounds to it? Do we bring qualities to it? And so we play around, I play around with all those things to make it be, I won't use the word accessible, I'll say available, to make it be more available to people in that moment. And I never, ever, and you know this, I talk about perfection, I never, ever tell people you're doing it wrong because whatever you're doing in that moment, that is what your body is needing as long as you're not having pain, 
So I do talk about pain, right? You don't want to cause yourself pain. But um, you, I, it's more important to me that people feel into the movement than that they do it so-called correctly. And I certainly mm-hmm. give instruction, and as time goes on, I give more and more instruction. Here's what's helpful. Here's what you do. But mainly you really want to get settled in your body and feel whatever you're feeling because there's this confusing thing called chi. What is chi? And chi is yeah. just the life energy. What are chakras? They're just centers of energy, and they exist. They just do. You may or may not feel it. Sometimes you feel it more than others. Some people started out doing Tai Chi Cha with me and said, oh, my gosh, immediately I felt tingling all over my body. Some people said, years before I felt a slight tingling in my fingertips. (laughs) Mm. So it's always there, right? And as you said, just trust that the that the um, person offering it to you, I'm not going to call myself a teacher necessarily, but the person offering it to you knows what they're talking about. And so I'll say for me, some of the stories that I say is, oh, there are times, even during class, I don't know if you've been in class with me, Wanda, when there are times in class when I've, like, drawn in too much chi, and then I have to mm. ground it. And then there are other times in doing it by myself And it really feels like I'm just going through the motions and I have to force myself a little bit to do it because I I tell myself, okay, Mia, this is beneficial to you. Just keep going. Just keep going. You can do it in as little as 20 minutes. You don't have to take a full hour because I know such benefits to me. And so um, now I try for a daily practice. Do I have a daily practice? No, not yet. Some days I'm just like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go for a walk instead. But Mm -hmm. um, knowing that a daily practice is helpful to me, then days I'm just really not feeling it, I still do it anyway because by the end of the 20 minutes, I feel more grounded. I feel more settled. My breath is deeper, and I know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ah, and and so um, if people are interested in um, you know more information about about your work, how do they get in touch with you? And um, yeah, how do they get in touch with you to find out you know when you're going to be offering classes and how that works? Thank you. Yes. Um, so my website has a glitch, um, and so my website designer is working on it, and. Um, mm-hmm. So the website um, will be up soon, uh, but in the meantime, people can contact me via my email. So um, one word about my website. It is called being-buddhist.com, and it's not religious. <laughs> I want to be clear. I'm a philosophical Buddhist, not a religious Buddhist, and what that means is all the things about Zen Buddhism, the sitting and relaxing, being mindful, all those things, Um work for me, and I want to help share them, in particular with other BIPOC folks. Um, I think um, a lot of us BIPOC people have not gotten gotten the full benefits that are available from um, the Eastern tradition of Buddhism um, because we haven't seen ourselves represented, and so that's changing, um, changed quite a bit in the last five, seven years, which is fantastic. But um, so that is my website, being-buddhist.com, and it should be live soon. My um, 
designer tells me. But in the meantime, they can just email me. So it's my name, N, like Nancy, N-I-A-L-L-A, at being-buddhist.com. And I do drop-in classes, which is what you've attended. Um, those are for free. And then I also have a couple um, events coming up through East Bay Meditation Center. And oh, nice. um, one would go to their website um, and register for it. And so um, those you can take for free, but they do ask that people give um, dana, which is um, a word for generosity, um, meaning, you know, whatever at the end of the, the class or the session, whatever you think um, you can afford and want to give, that they do ask for money that way. So, um, so my drop-in classes, um, I never ask for anything. It is my gift. Uh, but the ones that I have upcoming at East Bay Meditation Center, um, they will ask. Um, so those two, I have one. Uh, I'm co-teaching with both um, for both of those. December 18th, oh. we are offering it for the full moon. And oh, nice. we will be doing Chakra Tai Chi. Yeah, oh. Chakra Tai Chi, because the full moon we want to um, have um, invited that energy, right, so that we can take advantage of it to use it for whatever you need to before um, if you celebrate holidays at that time of year. But it can also be a depressing and stressful time of year for people, so that can be um, very helpful for that as well. And then, um, and it's also before the equinox. Yes, yes, right before, yes. Um, and then um, so it's welcoming winter. Um, so East Bay Meditation And, and you know what else is it is? Um, uh, uh, it's also near, it's um, the, um, it's six months to the day since um, Juneteenth became a federal holiday. <laughs> we didn't register that. Oh, my gosh, thank you so much. We will then yeah, call that in. We have um, my co-teachers and I, we have a few things we're going to call in at the beginning and that mm-hmm. one didn't register on us at all. So thank you so much for that because oh, we yeah, will be yeah. um, calling in the ancestors. And, oh, how wonderful. Mm-hmm. How wonderful. Yeah, and I'll you, share that and, with and my you co-teachers. Know, oh, totally. And then you know that uh, Dana King, you know, created the um, Monumental Reckoning. And so there are 350 African ancestors holding space uh, in the concourse at Golden Gate Park. And they'll be there for two years as of June eighteenth this year. So um Wonderful. And, and they're 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 encircling the plinth where Francis Scott Keys was toppled, his 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 monument was toppled and it's in some basement somewhere. Mm-hmm. They try to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so people yeah. know the carousel right there in the concourse. The mm-hmm. the ancestors circle that plant right there by the carousel. So if you get on the carousel, and they have great discounts for seniors and military people and children, and you look down and you see this beautiful circle of African ancestors, and they're all female. Yes, yeah. yeah. They are. I really know. It's really beautiful. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, cool, yeah. cool. I'm going to put that in my date book. I am so going to register for that. <laughs> Is, oh, that, is that on site? Yeah. And then or? We'll, I'm sorry. Then we'll is that also on site? Be doing, um, it's their website is ebmc.org. No, 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 no. Is is the um, is the medit is the um, uh, the meditation um, 
and and your chakra tai chi. Is it on site? Like, because East Bay Meditation Center oh. has a location. No, no, or no. These a, are all on oh. Zoom. Um, okay. So okay. the reason we've decided to keep things on Zoom. So I've done a couple. Um, I've done a couple in person. At um, people invited me to retreat, and I went mm-hmm. and I did it outdoors. Um, but um, we just wanted to. We, a lot of people shared with us that doing things virtually, um, they they want to continue that because it allows them to attend when otherwise they might not be able to attend. So mm-hmm. so these are all online. These are all continuing virtual. Yeah, oh. and so. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, so so December 18th, and then I also just want to mention that um, January 1st last year, we did um, the one that you talked about, Heart Qualities, Embodying the Heart Qualities um, mm-hmm. at EDMC, and people loved it, and so they asked us to come back. So we'll be mm-hmm. doing that as well um, to begin the, to welcome in the new year. Um, so um, people can attend one or both. Um, same website, edmc.org, for the one on December 18th and the one on January 1st. And it's not too early on January 1st. It's 9 a.m. <laughs> so early for me. <laughs> but there yeah, are three of us co-teaching so that one person is always standing <laughs> and one person is always seated. Yeah. So um, it, it's it's really nice. Oh, awesome, awesome. And and you are going to be, um, uh, you know, one of our Gaia teachers this weekend um, at the um, – uh, the Womfulness Gathering for Black Women. Uh, so if you're a Black woman, you can totally come. It's free. Uh, the Donna is is you know welcome for the teachers. Um, it's ten to twelve, and uh, Ania is going to be one of the presenters. And it is in Zoom. So if you're interested, um, uh, we have a uh, we have a Facebook. We have a website um, blog spot. Um, Facebook is Womfulness um Womfulness gatherings. So, um, yeah, let us know, and I'll send you the Zoom link. <laughs> yeah, really looking yes, forward to and that. and I'm honored weekend. that you asked me. Mm, yeah, I'm really happy you could fit us in your schedule. So um, do you want to leave our audience with something that they could do for themselves, you know, now? <laughs> around? Yes, around yes, this. thank you for that invitation. Yeah, if you could do just two things for yourself. I'm going to say take five deep breaths every day, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. And usually by the fifth breath, you're breathing in so much deeper than you were by the first, than the first breath, which really helps to just calm down the vagus nerve, all the autonomic systems in the body. And then that's one thing. And then if you can, shake standing or seated, just shake out different parts of your body for a full two minutes. Put a timer on because it seems like a long time. And by the end of that two minutes, you will have shaken out so much of the tension and stress that we carry in our body. So those are my two suggestions. I do that every single day, both those things. Yeah. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, I took um, the uh, mind-body medicine um course and and that was one thing that we learned about you know the shaking like um, Mm -hmm. I think um, uh, they put on like drumming and stuff and then after the shaking then you put on a different kind of music and you just freestyle dance and I'm like oh I like both of those things (laughs) 
Yeah, and, and yeah, I love that too. To get yeah. Used to it. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh well, thank you, thank you so much. Um, take five deep breaths and then shake out different parts of your body for two minutes. Yeah, I think I think people should put a timer on because you don't you might end too early. Like I I think for our, our brushing our teeth, it will be like three minutes. And if you don't have an electric toothbrush that's on a timer, um, it's like you you think it's three minutes and it's not. Cause yeah. that's a nice that's a nice length of time. You can really get your teeth clean. You can really shake out your body in <laughs> two minutes. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Wow. Well, you take good care and thank you again so much for joining us and um, and uh, definitely um, want people to to know you know where to find you. Um, Looking forward to checking out your website once your glitches are out. But in the meantime, give your give your email address one more time. Niala N I A L L A at being dash Buddhist dot com. Okay. Yeah, and you will be at the East Bay Meditation Center on December eighteenth for Chakra Tai Chi and it's gonna be in Zoom virtual. And then you'll be also at East Bay Meditation Center on January 1st doing embodying heart qualities, and that's at 9 o'clock in the morning. And you will be joined in both of these instances by other other uh, teachers and practitioners. And we're going to have a good time, you know? Like, Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a good rest of the day. Look forward to seeing you in a, you too. a couple of days. <laughs> All right. Yes. Peace and blessings. <laughs> You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So we're going to play a little bit more of Amakela, and since we're sort of like in an Amakela space, I am going to play an interview that I had with her a while back. Yeah, it was a really long time back. It was, it was in 2014. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a really good conversation. I think I'm going to play, um, just because I've been looking at it, uh, lovely day, um, her her version of lovely day, and then we just slip right into this um, uh, this interview. So before we do that, I want to let you know about um, something I just got some information on that I want to share with you. And um, oh, I want to say happy birthday to uh, to Brian Keith, um, uh, wonderful artist. Um, and uh yeah, you know how Facebook sends you those um sends you those um what do you call it? <laughs> sends you those announcements about, you know, for friends who are having their birthdays and, and then you can just go in um and say, Hey, happy birthday, Brian Keith Thomas and oh and brother Naeem is having a birthday too. There's a lot of people born at the end of the year. A lot of people born in the summer. Um and uh, so, yeah, there's an event happening uh, honoring uh, Queen, uh, I call her Queen Califia, and um, and uh, another folks might call her uh, Queen uh, Califia, Seal of California. So there's an event happening um, this weekend, um, Friday, uh, November 19th from noon to 4th, so you can still go and um and see our dear sister Chloe um, at her um, author event uh, on Friday in Oakland. 
because that's going to be later in the day. So you can do the noon at 4, and then you can come on over to Oakland. This is in San Francisco. It's at uh, Bodecker Park, uh, Eddie and Jones in San Francisco. And they're going to have uh, a Barrier Entertainment Association and the Tenderloin Incubation Hub is presenting this Tenderloin Artists and Entrepreneurs Entrepreneur Expo. And um, and there's going to be... Um, it's going to be uh, speakers and performers and vendors, and these are the same folks that put on the uh, uh, honoring those who lost their lives during Jonestown. I think it was on I think what anniversary was it? It was on a big anniversary. Um, I think maybe 2018 or so, maybe 19. And uh, and San Francisco had never, you know honored those people that lost their lives, particularly all the children that lost their lives. And so um, this particular organization um, hosted, um, one of the hosts was a collaboration of the, um, um, you know, this this memorial. And so the Bay Area Entertainment Association, um, that's the organization. And the Tenderloin Incubation Hub, I don't know them. But uh, the performances are by the Sea Struck Brothers, um, Honey Mahogany uh, Legislative Aid uh, Supervisor Matt Haney's office is going to be speaking. It's going to be a performance by Tori Teasley. Uh, Cheryl Shanks is going to speak. There's going to be a performance by C. Rowe. Um, there's going to be a painting party tribute to Queen Califia with the with the uh, with Zumani, the artist. Uh, there's going to be a performance by Cloud. Uh, Robert Boyd is going to, uh, who else is going to speak? Uh, Nikki Aquino is going to, uh, she's a vendor, an art vendor. Uh, Bisma Bazaar is a holistic healer. There's going to be a performance by Razor Sharp and Brother Mo. And uh, Flo, a Flu Lux Social Club is going to be uh, have live floral arrangements from local farms. That should be nice. And so for more information, you can, Visit Bay Area, no, excuse me, not Bay Area, sorry. You can visit Bay Entertainment, no, Bay Entertainment SF, Bay Entertainment SF at Gmail is um, is the uh, email address. And the website is NCLF, NCLF, Inc., I-N-C, dot O-R-G, forward slash hub. And so um looks like a really wonderful event. So, um, and this, but this is not the only one they're doing. And also, um, one of the producers is um, Antenna Theater, and uh, and also another producer is the New Community Leadership Foundation. Um, and so, anyway, it looks like it's going to be really, really awesome. And uh, sorry, I wasn't able to get anyone on the air to talk about it because I just got this um, yesterday. So um, um, there wasn't enough time. To um, to be able to uh, get anyone to join me, but that's the those are the details, and there's probably a lot of other things happening, but that's something I wanted to let you know about. Alrighty, so now I'm going to play uh, "Lovely Day," and then we will slip into this uh, conversation with Ama Kayla um, about her life and uh, and forgiveness and love.
Well, I'm Michaela. I'm so happy that uh, we're talking this morning, and you have this great concert, uh, Spirits Lifted, a musical mm-hmm. celebration featuring mm-hmm. yourself as special guest with John Santos on Sunday, tomorrow, July 27th at 3 at Eastside Cultural Center in Oakland. So tell me about this first-time collaboration between the two of you. Actually, gratefully, it's not our first time collaboration. Mm-hmm. He was on my album, Being in Love. Is he it? was on several of the tracks. Yes. Mm-hmm. He is a percussionist on several of the tracks, and he's just truly an inspiration and one of my most favorite people. He's one of the first people I met when I moved out to the Bay Area, and he's so sweet and so powerful and gifted and giving. I actually met him at jazz camp. Mm-hmm. I moved out here. I put my bags down and ran out to jazz camp for a week, and he was there, and he taught me a lot of things um, with respect to rhythm and percussion and singing a lot of these Afro-Cuban songs, which you'll hear if you come on Sunday to the show. It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so were you at jazz camp recently? Because I know you, you've been just getting back from, from teaching this past week. Yes. Actually, I teach the uh, younger kids' version, which is called Jam Camp. Yeah, so yeah. how cute. Jam Camp is really <laughs> cute. So it's Jam Camp from ages 10 to 14, or actually 10 to 15, and then once they turn 15, then they go to jazz camp. Mm. And it's exquisite. It's a chance to be with, you know, the young folk out in the woods that are creative and experiencing all these things for the first time and learning about the power of their voice and the power of expression and, you know, sharing that in a safe space with other adults who are also creative and their peers and meeting a new group of people and watching them explode and and expand their horizons and basically blossom in front of your eyes. It's it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how many how many children were at jam camp uh this year? Almost two hundred. There oh, were quite a few. Two hundred. That's a lot of children. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a big number. <laughs> it was between one fifty and two hundred. Yes, it was a lot of kids. And they had a great time. They were very respectful, you know, raised right. <laughs> and choosing that, choosing art instead of violence. Right, you know, right, and yeah. bullying. They were all very respectful and very kind to one another. Mm-hmm. It was very refreshing to see. Yeah, that's what a, a great segue into um, your program. You know, your founder mm-hmm. and director of the International Cultural Arts and Healing Sciences Institute. Yeah, uh, and you travel the world as a cultural ambassador, furthering surprising connections in unexpected places through the arts, activism, and advocacy. And I was reading um, that uh, you know, as um, you know, a uh, person who promotes healing through the arts, you've you've actually um, been quite a few places. Why don't you talk about that? Because one of those places is Palestine. Yes. In Israel. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was actually a really, really incredible trip. Um, I went uh, at the behest of the State Department, and so I collaborate with the State Department and the U.S. Embassy, and I go to these places that are usually war-torn with at-risk populations, with the youth, and trying to promote, um, like you said, arts and advocacy and getting kids to play the drum instead of make a bomb. That's really the goal. And one of the kids in that program, I was with them for gosh, three, four weeks. And at first they were very hesitant to believe that someone from the United States could be there for them 
and love them. And we had a lot of very deep conversations about politics and what it means to be from America and how you can be an American and not necessarily agree with the politicians that represent your country. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the kids came up to me afterwards, literally said to me, you have changed my mind about wanting to become a Unabomber. I'd rather play the drum, which is why I said that phrase before about taking drums over there and getting them to express themselves through banging on a drum and talk about their inner rage that they have because they're frustrated and have that be a way for them to express themselves as opposed to blowing something up. Mm-hmm. And so it was very moving and and a, and a reignition for me to do the hard work, be a foot soldier on the front line of the sin called life and working with youth and, you know, being a kid these days is hard and messy and confusing and there's so many ways that they're forced to become adults through the internet. You know, they're exposed to anything and everything way earlier than they used to be and so, you know, we have to contend with that and we have to still embrace everything that they're questioning and going through and give them another outlet and one of the best outlets is freedom of expression through the arts. So that's what I go around the world promoting. Yeah. How um how did you how did you come to this work? Um it was I believe through uh, you know something really tragic happening to you personally. Mhm. <clears throat> um I actually was uh, a victim of a hate crime. I was run over by a truck by a guy who um didn't like black people and ran me over and I was in the hospital for almost a year and a half and mm. I was a I had third degree burns all over my body, and the only thing that helped me through the pain was music, and not just any music off the radio. Very intentional music that was focused on almost a drone kind of, um, not necessarily monotone, but like multi-layered, non-lingual music. You know, lots of chanting and drumming and very heavy harmonics and was very powerful when I could I would wake up out of a deep sleep or trance at the minute the music went off and I was like there was something to that there was something to that for me and and I I really needed to explore that further and then I was invited by the Dalai Lama to come sing at the International uh, Festival for Sacred Chanting and Singing and I was blessed to be able to be chosen one out of the six people in the world to go sing for him and I sang my songs for him, and we had a very deep connection, and he, you know, gave me the courage and the charge to create something that would continue this work, and so I created this institute, um, ICASI, Institute for Cultural Arts and Healing Sciences, and (laughs) it's one of those things where it magically blossomed out in front of me. It's like the world opened up and wanted it to be, and so it's just been amazing how I've been able to live this dream life, go around the world and make music and sing and be with women and children who, you know, don't have a voice and want to be heard and seen, and we're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, wow, so amazing. You know, this uh, these past few years, there have been so many 50th anniversary of this 
acting, mm-hmm. 40 to anniversary of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is the summer of the 50th anniversary of Freedom Summer, you know, when all mm-hmm. the students, you know, mm-hmm. in the north and the south uh, came together in, you know, in the southern states to register people to vote. And there was That's a lot right. of tragedy involved in that. And, um Right. Yeah, yeah, and then we look at, you know, sort of the the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act and the erosion of, of voter rights throughout the nation on, on the mm. anniversary, the 50th anniversary of all mm-hmm. of that. And then mm-hmm. we think about our dear sister Fannie Lou Hamer. Oh, my goodness. Mm. What she suffered to be able to exercise her um, democratic rights as a citizen. And I was wondering sort of as you uh, sort of reflect, you know, in your work, and in your life on some of these monumental moments because you're, you know, you're from the East Coast. Are you, are you from D.C. or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the suburbs of D.C., but, yeah, I grew up in D.C., mm-hmm. and it's just, I'm, hey, big shout-out to the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's an interesting time. I grew up, and my parents were activists, and we went mm-hmm. to every march mm-hmm. that we could march on, and it's 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 a very different time. I remember as I was leaving D.C., I did a big march on Washington, and it was very different from when I grew up. It was very controlled and contained, and you had to get a permit to march. And, you know, there was no initial impetus of why marching was invented or why it was utilized as a form of rebellion that was still in place. Like, you couldn't shut down anything if you have to get a permit. So, every, you know, it was already the streets were blocked off, and there was no change that was instilled or that you could have some kind of effect on because everything was already preplanned. And so I think that, you know, as we continue to evolve and grow as as a people, we need to find another way to have conversations about the need for justice still, the need for people to recognize that that we still don't have all of our rights and they're being taken away and a lot of people don't even know that that's happening. Like they're being, it's, it's almost like a dream state that's fallen over people. And people used to be informed about it because people were singing about it. But now there's None of that either. You know, we're still, you know, caught up in singing about purchasing cars and buying things, and we're not talking about the core issues about our rights. And I think that if we don't hurry up and get through the fear of talking about those hard conversations, because a lot of kids these days don't want to hear it. And I know when I was a kid, I was like, oh, gosh, we have to talk. We have to go march again for civil rights. Uh, you know, it was. It's, it takes work to come out of your comfort zone and go march about something and care about something and fight for something. And we have to truly put down our computers and our cell phones and everything else and get out on the streets and do it again. And don't get a permit to do it. You know, and bring the children out there and keep sharing the information. Otherwise, it'll get lost. I was surprised at how many kids don't know who Fannie Lane Raymer is. Mm. It's not being taught in our schools anymore. And so there's only so long that we can continue to carry that torch to reflect on the importance of this. You know, when kids don't feel like their vote counts for anything anyway, it doesn't matter anyway. They don't feel the need to have it in place. And so if we, if we can't express that to them and get them to get that, then it will go away and we'll have no recourse once it's gone. 
and that's a scary thought. Yeah, yeah, wow. I was just looking at some of the um, the places that, you know, your work has taken you, um, and, uh, you know, your music as medicine, healing with an artful purpose, programming, uh, multifaceted therapeutic approach through music movement and theater modalities, mm-hmm. and you've been to Cuba, China, Taiwan, Africa, um, mm-hmm. specifically where in Africa, because uh, I noticed Sierra that. Leone. It <laughs> uh, okay. was my latest trek. It was beautiful. Oh, really? Like this year? Uh, actually, just last summer. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, one of the things that we also really need to talk about and get active about is our environment. When I was in Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. they had an area of town that they didn't want me to see because, you know, when you come from the States and you're going to hang out with the prime minister, they kind of want to keep you on the the pretty side of town. But I really wanted to see where the people were. And so I asked to be taken where that was. And the area that they took me was where they burned all of the plastic bottles from all the water that people drank. And it was toxic. You couldn't breathe the air. And the poor people had to live there. There was no other place for them to live. And they were burning these plastic bottles, just mountains of plastic bottles, on the beach next to the ocean. And Of course, I was crying and outraged and, you know, not only outraged for the people that had to suffer the toxic fumes of this, but also looking at the fact that it's going right into the water, right there. So any fish that you got from that area, any food supply, right there was going to be filled with all these toxins. And, you know, their answer was, we don't have any other place to put it. We don't know what else to do with all of these water bottles that come from hotels, from all the tourists that come to this area. You know, it's just a cycle that we have to really figure out the answer to. And we can't just give it lip service. We have to sit down and really figure it out. What are we going to do about this? And so we have to think about it. We have to talk about it. So to me, I took all of that information, came back, put it in a song, and got people activated about it. Mm. And so now we're trying to form different movements and different ways to really Talk to people who can make a difference. Take these songs to the hill. Take these songs back to the East Coast. Give people who can change laws, talk about it in the U.N., really get them thinking about (laughs) the fact that this is not invisible, that it's happening, and we see it, and we know it, and we want to talk about it and fix it. Mm -hmm. uh, Were were the refugee all-stars in town when you were there? No, they were here performing. (laughs) I was upset about that. I was like, no, poor planning on my part. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they are so phenomenal. Um, Aren't they incredible? They're incredible. Yeah. And so, you know, it takes a whole bunch of, we need to all be out there. And the arts is the best way Mm -hmm. to bring all these things to light. And they're out there talking that talk. They're bringing it to the forefront Mm -hmm. through great music. Right, exactly, and um, yeah, the latest, um, uh, they call it, the latest tour is called the Libation World Tour, and uh, so mm. just think about pouring libations to the ancestors and libations, mm-hmm. so just invoking those those spirits, because um, we definitely need to call on the ancestors at this particular yes, time do. in our history yes, as a planet and as a people. That's right. Yeah, so talk about... Um, 
some of your your music since we last spoke. <laughs> Being in love was was the CD that we were in conversation about, and that was just so lovely. And you were like, you know, bringing the roots music like you always do. And um, <laughs> here you're going to be bringing the roots, you and John together. It's going to be like, oh, what an invocation on Sunday yeah. at Eastside. My goodness, both of you yeah. all together. Ah. Live and in person. Oh my gosh. People need to like you know, wear wear those healing stones to be able to like so they don't float away. (laughs) So they're the ground them, right? (laughs) Ground those chakras. Otherwise you're gonna have them like floating. (laughs) You know, like that uh feather that um uh, the goddess Maat, you know, is represented by, you know, balance and justice. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I am so there, and oh, I love my aunt. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you were asking me about the upcoming music that's coming up for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there are a couple of things on the horizon, excitedly. Uh, the first one is the release of my uh, album from the Kennedy Center called Lush, which is live at the Kennedy Center. It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the tracks that I uh, gave to you called Nature Boy, and that okay. covers some more um, beautiful jazz standards. Um, but I'm also in creation with a lot of Afro-Cuban artists, and we're going to make a beautiful kind of spirit chant album that incorporates a lot of jazz as well and the blues and really get down into kind of the root structure of you know that root jazz that we love and get that sound vibration going and heal from the bottom up (laughs) so Lush will be released in the fall and hopefully that next CD will be released in the spring but I'll keep you posted on that one oh that'd be excellent excellent that'd be wonderful uh, (laughs) yeah yeah so um Let's talk a little bit more about, uh, I don't know, I mean, i give you a choice. Uh, do you want us to talk more about your healing work with the music? Um, uh, or would you talk, want to talk more about, um, you know, your artistry uh, or combine the both of them in one conversation? Um, are you are you going to be traveling any more um, this year as as an ambassador? Yes, actually. Okay. Uh, there's, there, are co- there are a couple things on the horizon. The first one is I have a concert uh, at the Arunda Jazz Festival that's coming uh, August 17th. So if you guys can make it out tomorrow, come check me out there. Um, and I will be doing a TED Talk in oh. September mm-hmm. in New York, which is going to be very exciting, talking about what we're talking about here, grit and the power of survival and the ways that we do that. <laughs> and my focus is going to be through expressive arts and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in November, I'm off to Turkmenistan, mm-hmm. where we're going to be doing this very same work, except using a different modality, which is really fun. The last time I was there, we looked at empowering women to share their voice through the bigness of their bodies. So working on stage presence and power voice and a lot of that stuff comes through Broadway musicals. So using the American modality of musicals. So we're doing uh, Broadway Abroad and going there and getting women to... I mean, when, when I was there, and I was allowing them to scream on stage and move in a very big, powerful way. It changed them and you could see in their face that they... You know, in their day-to-day dealings, don't get to do that. But when you're in the arts and on the stage, and particularly in musical theater, you're commanded to be 
in a bigger space and a bigger aspect of yourself. And, you know, for all of us, that's what I was doing at jam camp with these kids. The way that they were empowered and how they moved after they had a session where they got to sing, you know, these amazing musicals from Broadway, you know, singing from The Wiz, you know. When I think of home, I think, you know, when you have to do that on the stage and you have to share your voice and the bigness of that, it it fills you in a different way. And so I'm really excited to go to Turkmenistan and do this with the, with the people there. And I'll be partnering with an organization called Company E, and they'll be doing dance. And, you know, together we're going to bring that aspect to these people and they're going to share with us you know what we can learn from them and we'll bring it back here and it'll be a beautiful cultural exchange nice nice have you been to rwanda no but i worked with this amazing rwandan artist jean paul samputu and we did a lot of work when he was touring here Mm -hmm. in america we did a southern tour together and i worked with their dancers and it was just oh that their story is really powerful. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to go to Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When After Katrina, did you get a chance to go to New Orleans and to some of the southern states yeah, uh, and do some I work did. there? Oh, tell me about I that. Because that your anniversary of Katrina is coming up next month on the 29th. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually have family there and dear friends there and mm-hmm. You know, Katrina was powerful. I was actually on the phone with a friend who was sending videos of the water rising up in her house. It was just, whew, you talk about fear. Like, it was right there with me on the phone. And then I lost contact. And then it was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, to know somebody who went through it and to to know people and to go back. I went right after Mm -hmm. we were able to get down there. And, and, you know, they call it the Katrina cough. It's true. Like, all the the gunk and the toxins that had settled on the bottom of that water that rose up and and were released as these noxious gases, you couldn't breathe. Your eyes would burn. You would cough all the time. And so I went down there and did what I could. But, you know... The fever and the flavor of the South, especially New Orleans, honey, those people went right back home. They did not, they just went home and fixed it. They fixed the doors, they fixed their houses, they were like, we live here, this is home. No matter what else, we're home until we're gonna build our home again. And I just love that fire, that, that strength, that inner power that people have, that commitment to staying with community and staying with family and staying home. So we went there, I went down there and, you know, hung with my people and my my fellow musicians and colleagues and did what I could to help out. But, you know, really and truly, it, it takes more than a village to fix a tragedy like that. It takes the world and it takes all of us. And so, you know, they're still healing. Mm-hmm. There's still a need for people to go and help. There's still people that are impoverished and you know, suffering from what happened all those years ago. Mm-hmm. This wasn't that long ago, for real, for real, but... Yeah, yeah, that's you know. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and what about um, Haiti? Have you, has your work taken you to Haiti? I tried. I tried to get to Haiti, and I was in the Dominican Republic, and I was on my way to cross the border, yeah. and they stopped us. They said it's just too, it's too hard. You know, there are a lot of places that I want to go that mm-hmm. I can't get to, like Nigeria, because yeah. Yeah. it's just... The, it's, the war is just too strong, and being from America, you know, 
your top on the list for somebody that might garner a, a fee, which is kind of funny to me. But you know, you can get kid- kidnapping is real, and mm-hmm. um, when you go to these places, there's always that fear that that you won't be captured. Mm-hmm. And so some places they just wouldn't let me go. Like I wanted to go to Afghanistan. I was right on the border. Yeah. And they were like, nope. Hmm. If you cross that bridge, we can't be held responsible for you anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, the State yeah. Department on paper, and you've actually talked to a lot of people, it just looks really uncompromising. They say, don't go over there. And if you go over yeah. there, you're on your own. I guess You are on your thing. own. Mm-hmm. That's right. We can't help you. We can't spread the word. We can't get you out. You will be, uh, you know, they told the story about somebody else who was on a bridge for three days mm-hmm. because he couldn't cross into Afghanistan and he couldn't come back from Afghanistan. It was kind of like this no man's land in between. Mm-hmm. And, and, there he was for three days. Wow. <laughs> and that was that. Three days. Oh but you know what, sister? Yeah, yeah no, you it's got, 9.30 I and I've got to go yeah. to John. So right. we'll talk to you in a minute. Yeah, that'll be super. Yeah, and then a uh, question I want to ask you, if you could be thinking about it as you head on over to the rehearsal, um, just sort of the whole idea of forgiveness. Uh, I just want you to talk a little bit about that because that, mm. that's a really difficult that's a difficult space to occupy, particularly if you say you've been you were in the hospital for over a year, a year and a half. Yes. You know, getting over an intentional um, uh, assault. I mean, it wasn't an accident. You were no. you were run over on purpose. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? That's really the the truest subject in the kernel of my TED talk is exactly that the the grit it takes to forgive mm-hmm. in a true sense of forgiveness like truly letting go mm-hmm. with love so yes I'd love to talk more about that uh, okay so I'll talk to you in a little bit <laughs> okay thank right. you thank you <laughs> bye bye 